spins a web any size. Can't you see? Just like flies. Look out! Here comes the Spider-Man. Hello and welcome back to Amazing Spider-Man Classics, in association with SpiderManCrawlspace.com. Amazing Spider-Man Classics is the podcast that takes you through every Spider-Man book, as well as every guest appearance and cameo we can find of the amazing Spider-Man from the beginning. My name is John Wilson, this is episode 32 of the show, and I am joined, as always, by my two co-hosts, Donovan Grant... Hello, hello. And Josh Bertoni. Let's make the scene at the Silver Spoon. All right. You're mad, Dad. Hey, whoa, whoa. Slow down, son. (laughs) Today we are going to be looking at issue 46 of Amazing Spider-Man for the majority of the show. We'll also be pausing to look briefly at another book that's not actually a Spider-Man appearance but is tangentially related, Daredevil 25. But before we do all that, I do want to remind you that Amazing Spider-Man Classics is brought to you by Roll2Play, your online source for games and gaming accessories. One of their featured items right now is a rather new game called Pajaggle. It's half board game, half puzzle. It's great for groups of mixed ages or interests. It's also very popular with schools and parents because it's very child accessible. So if your interests are in table puzzles or in board games, Pajaggle may be just the thing for you. Go to Pajaggle.com for more information about this new game. That's P-A-J-A-G-G-L-E. And then head over to Roll2Play.com to pick up your copy. You can also find Roll2Play on Facebook by searching Roll2Play, all one word, spelled with the number two. Now, on this particular episode, we have a story that was recently retconned to include some involvement by Deadpool. And so I couldn't let the book go by without involving one of the guys at the Deadpool podcast of Mercs and Mutants and co-host at Teenage Wasteland and Ultimate Spider-Man podcast. Say hello to my friend, Tyler Crone. What's the scam, Hit Cat? I thought I'd find you singing with the squares. <laughs> hey! Welcome to the show, Tyler. Thanks for being with us. Oh, it's a real honor, you guys. Um, just a note: I don't think that the retcon was recent. I think that it's over ten years old. Yeah, it actually was in the nineties. I thought so, this was his current series that they did this in. No, this was actually nineteen sixty-seven or ni- sorry, nineteen ninety-seven. Really? Yeah. Well, um, it was issue eleven of his original run, not his newest one. Well, since I'm the, the main main person here, I get to be right, so you're all wrong, and um, we'll just have to go from there. Sounds good, because, you know, it's not as if you invited me on for my Deadpool knowledge or anything. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't you tell the listeners about Of Mercs and Mutants? What is that, and where can they hear it? Okay, so Of Mercs and Mutants was a show originally started by Matthew Hammock, and about episode seven, he said he wanted co-host, a co-host, and I applied and got the position. Since he has gotten too busy to carry on with the show, and I've taken on as the full-time host, it's normally with a group of me and Brian DeTroni, and right now we're working to try to find an editor for the show because I've proven too busy to edit the show every time we record. Basically, every month we go through all the Deadpool books of that month. We cover all the major Deadpool news, and we have guests. We've had Sean Crystal, who's drawn Deadpool Team-Up and Deadpool Suicide Kings. Or No, he drew uh, the... One shot that was done about the same time that this series came out that I can't remember now because I'm an idiot. Is uh, that where Deadpool cuts Christopher Walken's finger off? Yeah, uh, maybe actually. Does he do that really? Oh, 
Suicide Kings is a movie where Christopher Walken gets his finger cut off. You yeah, cut his fucking finger off! Yeah, oh, um, with the guy who plays Leonard from Big Bang Theory. Yes, him. He is Ooh, awesome. Cool. And uh, so, yeah, I was making a joke, but it didn't work because y'all haven't seen that movie. Actually, it is a classic episode after all. <laughs> Actually, I did see it mostly because I searched for Suicide Kings because it was such a good comic book thing, Like, and that movie came up. So I have seen the movie. Oh, okay. Well, you get points then. That's why I said maybe because Christopher Walken and Suicide Kings had a thing in my head. Gotcha. But basically we go through and we've had other guests such as uh, Victor Gishler, the current writer of the X-Men arc. And we've had YouTube phenomenon such as Deadpool and Friends, who does the Deadpool PSAs, M. Galusic, who does the Deadpool live-action fan series that has gotten a lot of critical acclaim. Cool. And we've also gotten the um, first female Deadpool cosplayer, Tola Silver, on the show as well. Nice. And where is that located? You can find us by going to blazefire33.libson.com, or you can... Go to a much easier address, mercsandmutants.info. All right. And you've also started up another podcast show recently, right? Uh, yes. Recently with Johnny Freiberg, uh, we started up a Daredevil podcast called From Yellow to Red. Uh, the first episode is out at this particular moment. And we have a few more episodes in the can, but because of me just starting to work, we haven't recorded a whole lot but we plan on recording again real soon and we're almost at the point where we've recorded we're almost out of the yellow arc already yeah it was only six or seven issues right yeah so we've already determined that we're going to have an orange episode (laughs) (laughs) orange oh my and where is that located that is at from yellow to red dot dot com all right and mr crone how uh i always like to ask this how did you get into comics when did you become a spider-man fan I became a Spider-Man fan through the 90s show. Uh, that was, yes, I, sir. Yeah, I was growing up, and that was just what was on television on Saturday mornings. And Spider-Man was my favorite character out of the three superheroes that I watched, Spider-Man, Superman, and Batman. And I got obsessed with it. And actually, my mom went out to a grocery store and came back with a 25-cent copy of a Marvel Masterwork um, Amazing Spider-Man number one. So that was actually the first comic that I read. And since then, I was kind of obsessed with finding out what happened after that. And I walked into a comic book store, found the complete collection DVD, and I've been hooked. Yay. Very awesome. And it has been fun having you as a new regular on Teenage Wasteland and Ultimate Spider-Man podcast, which we do with Zach Henderson. You had some really good stuff to that show. Yeah, that's uh, actually another really fun show to be on. And just it, it's always fun ragging on Zach, but not recently he's gotten the barb to his tongue as well and started ragging back. That's not as fun. <laughs> well, we are very glad to have you here, Tyler. Uh, before we look at comics tonight, though, we are going to discuss some of your emails. Not your emails, Tyler, but your li- listeners' emails. But I've sent any emails in the past. Why are we Why are we reading the emails from, te- from Teenage Wasteland listeners? Well, because... You said Tyler's listeners' emails, so... No, that's not what I said. I said something else. I don't know what it was, though. I'll find it in the edits, and I'll play it back to you, and you'll know that that's not what I said. No, you that's did. That's not what was, he said. It, it was one of those, like, you could, like, you can interpret two meanings from it, and I chose to interpret the meaning that would annoy you. Haha, I see how you are. Okay. From Mark Alford, titled MovieCast. Hey, gang. I love the show. 
Listening to you guys reminds me of when I was in college hanging out with my friends talking comics. I have two comments for your movie podcast. First, you mentioned your inspiration for science being a comedian you heard. I always thought it was from the song She Blinded Me With Science by Thomas Dolby in 1982. It features an old man yelling science throughout the song, plus a lot of cheesy early 80s synthesizer music. <laughs> awesome. I also wanted to bring your comments on how Spider-Man sticks to walls. It was explained in the comics, I think Spectacular Spider-Man 135, in the second Sin Eater arc. Electro figures out that Spider-Man uses static electricity to stick to walls. Since Electro is the master of all forms of electricity, he can make Spider-Man unstick. Spidey then proceeds to get his butt kicked. The English teacher in me loves the grammar Nazi comes out. Keep up the good work. Excelsior from Mark. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Yeah. Static electricity, really? Yeah, we told you this. Yeah, Raimi got it wrong. Okay, but his web stickingness or not wall stickingness has been explained so many different ways to so many different times. Yeah. I don't know, has it really been explained like a thousand times? I think it's only been explained once. <laughs> or maybe twice. Um I have the Marvel role playing game and they go in depth into his pa- Spider Man's powers in particular and they're just like actually Spider Man sticks to a wall at a molecular level. Right. And like they tried really to explain it and I'm just like, he has spider powers. That's just the way it is. He just has spider powers. Deal with it! Pretty much. Yeah. I remember that story. That was, like, really, really good. Um, the, the second Sinir story, like the sequel. Right. I haven't read it yet. When was that? It was right after the marriage. Uh, okay. Somebody should do a oh. Marriage Mephisto podcast and talk about that. Okay. Um, more know-it-all-isms from Gerard. And that's the subject this email. And this email is from Gerard. So it's not somebody else claiming to be Gerard. You never know could be the chameleon <laughs> who else can climb a building like that dear gentlemen and john dude you just got you just got dissed by gerard he doesn't think you're a gentleman yeah even i'm a gentleman more of a gentleman than you in his eyes he didn't even know i was going to be on a gentleman and a john wilson what's a girl to decide once again i'm riding in on my white horse with what i believe are the answers to a couple of burning questions from recent episode episode 29 to be exact. As always, I hope you find these musings interesting when you read this email three months from now. I also hope they're right. Okay, he wrote this April 3rd, and it is May, as I'm reading this, 25th. So, ha, ha. Two months from now, depending on when this comes out, maybe. Yeah, so, it'll be uh, it'll be over too whenever this comes out. Neener, neener, neener. Why is it called Amazing Spider-Man King Size Special number three instead of Amazing Spider-Man Annual number three? I think this one has an easy answer. The specials weren't necessarily going to be an annual tradition for each title. I mean, they're only for the five King Size Specials that year, right? Without trying to get into the heads of the editorial staff, I always assume that they shield away from calling them annuals because they plan to rotate which books got this treatment. It just so happens that the Amazing Spider-Man and the Fantastic Four always had a yearly special, but the lower books in the line wouldn't necessarily have them. It was simply easier to brand them together under one banner. So that's what they did. That makes a whole lot of sense because I always think of Spider-Man, you know, because it did have an annual every year. And why did it start getting called King Size Specials? But uh, he's right. Most of the other books did not have one every year. So that that makes sense to me. And I agree because I didn't I didn't think of any other answer. to that. But the question remains, what's up with the indicia 
Have you ever noticed the IND underneath the price of the comic? It stands for Industrial News, which was a distribution arm owned by rival DC Comics. Back in 1957, Atlas Comics was forced to close their self-owned distribution arm. Publisher Martin Goodwin signed with another publisher, American News Company, but that relationship proved to be short-lived when American News went bankrupt and shut down operations. Goodwin was so desperate for a distributor of his product that he had to sign a deal with DC, which of course strictly limited the number of titles that Goodwin could publish. Though those limitations eased up over the years of the deal, they were still bound by an upper limit of titles allowed to be published each month. Interesting. That's why many early Marvel books were bi-monthly. It allowed them to publish more titles by allowing them to be staggered in the schedule. This is also why they published so many anthologies and split titles like Tales to Astonish and Tales of Suspense. It let them create more characters and stories in their limited real estate. Finally, this was also the reason that many canceled or renamed titles carried over numbering schemes from an earlier series. It's also a bit more complicated than this, and there were certain allowances and exceptions, but that's the basic gist. I believe the Indicio and um, the Amazing Spider-Man King Size Special 3 is simply reflective of the fact that they were stuck with a limited number of title holdings. By claiming that the special was simply another issue of The Amazing Spider-Man, from a legal perspective, it may have allowed them to circumvent industrial's rules. Until next time, Gerard Delta II. That is really cool. Um, I knew that A, they had a distributor that limited their number of titles, and that was why they were doing, you know, Tales of Suspense and Tales to Astonish and bi-monthly stuff. And I had heard recently that at one point Marvel had to go through DC for its distribution. I had not put those two together as being the same company. So that's very, very cool. I had no idea that they ever went through DC for distribution. I have questioned what happened to the anthology books and why they were pumping them out when the superhero ties were selling so much better, But or to my knowledge they were. But no, I, where, where does Gerard get this stuff? There must he, he must have some mad comic journals stacked in his room. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but that is very, uh, very interesting. And I... I only just recently heard that DC was their distributor at one point. I forget who told me that, but I, I just heard it like within the last couple weeks. And Journey into Mystery became Thor quite a while before Tales to Astonish and Tales of Suspense split up into Iron Man and Cap and Hulk and Namor. I'm not entirely sure what their logic was for that, but... I remember hearing that, like... That's why the Hulk's first one of the reasons why the Hulk's first series got canceled, so they can publish Amazing Spider-Man. Right. Yeah, that's what it, I heard. Well. It wasn't exactly like that, but th- th- it's basically like that. I thought I yeah. thought Hulk, even, even though it was the same year, came out after Spider-Man. It came out before. Hulk was going before Spider-Man. He was not canceled to make room for Spider-Man, but I believe Linda, student nurse or something like that, was canceled for Spider-Man. Hulk was canceled to make way for Sergeant <laughs> Fury. Not Linda, student nurse. That's my favorite one. Yeah. She never became a regular nurse. But the last issue of Hulk came out after the first issue of Amazing, so they couldn't have been one making room for the other. I really want to look up Linda, student nurse now and, you know, see what we were missing. (laughs) She went 15 issues, buddy. It's good stuff. All that built up, like, you know, and then, like, it was supposed to be her story, like, from student nurse to regular nurse. Then, like, at the end of, like, the 10th year of the comic, like, she was given her nurse's uniform, but, like, she put it in the refrigerator for, like, a full year before her dead mom, like, finally gave it to her. And then we don't even get to see her in the full uniform. I think it was just a romance comic. I'm pretty sure it was Grey's Anatomy for eight-year-olds in the 60s. John, you are a winner. (laughs) Did Lee write it? He probably did. He probably did. I, I can I can find out. <laughs> of 
course they wrote it. It was romance. It probably had like, oh my gosh, a new doctor at the hospital. Why hasn't he proposed to me yet? <laughs> a girl. I love her. I must propose to her. But she doesn't love me. She loves my rival. But I won't tell her. So we'll just secretly love each other, but never say anything to each other. And then whine so, about it. Every Silver Age so, cup. Josh, I have to say something. I've been reading old Daredevil comics for the show. And you said that it was uh, Foggy and Matt that started thinking about proposing to Karen. Karen is the conniving little witch that started it. She actually thinks in issue number two, Matt Murdock is so handsome, if only he would ask me to marry him. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. She's like, by a telephone, right? Yeah. yeah. Next email is from The Gnome. Hello, Spider Gang. Thanks for reading my email in the annual number two show. It feels like I'm now part of the club. However, I must point out that my true secret identity is the Parma Gnome and not just The Gnome. I wouldn't want to be mistaken for any other gnomes roaming around. Moving on, let's assume that the local TV show that Spidey appeared on in Amazing Fantasy 15 did not keep any footage of the show, which was standard practice in the early 60s for TV studios. The botched scene that was being filmed for the movie in issue 17 would, been, would then be the earliest pro shot of film of Spidey. Can you imagine the value of that film considering it wasn't thrown out after hitting the cutting room floor? I'm looking forward to hearing Josh's vocals for Mary Jane, when the moment arrives, that moment has arrived, sir. Josh, will you have What's the New Mary Jane by the Beatles playing during an intermission when we get to MJ's de- debut? This podcast is winning! <laughs> I guess we're a little bit past the fact for that reference. What's the New Mary Jane is a rejected Beatles song that was on the cutting room floor. It didn't see the light of day until the 90s, mostly because it's it really goes nowhere fast. But gotcha. it's fun. It's fun. It's fun as a historical curiosity. And of course, uh, Charlie Sheen and the Tiger Blood was all the rage whenever he said winning. And our next email is from Tom Workman. It is called The Avengers. He says, hey, guys, I never really considered myself a podcast listener, having previously listened to only the dreary podcast of your distinguished competition and never hearing anything that struck my interest. But some neighborhood kids happened to leave a stack of podcasts at the house the other day, and as I was cleaning, I couldn't help but give a few a listen. One immediately stood out from the rest, episode 23 of the awesome Amazing Spider-Man Classics. Before I knew it, I was hooked on your pugnacious podcast and got caught up on all the previous episodes. You batty blokes have an offbeat style and humor that has made me a fan. Please sign me up for the Perry Parvel podcasting propriety. (laughs) What does half that mean? Mary Marvel Marching Society, Perry Parvel podcasting propriety. That's great. I am forever yours. The only problem is that it's hard to come by your podcast out here on the distant island of Krakoa. We usually trade them amongst the villagers in spite of the rumored risk of disease from trading old podcasts. (laughs) I've called Time Warner to have internet installed several times, but their tractable technicians keep disappearing before they reach us for some reason. (laughs) This is great. Okay, I'm going to stop you. Stanley wrote this. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> anyway, on to business. Amazing Spider-Man Annual 3 is one of my favorites. Between the artwork that is just packed with colorful heroes and the moral dilemma of the plot, I was kind of surprised that you guys bought into the Avengers claiming that they really just wanted to help the Hulk. <laughs> Maybe I'm reading this with too much cynicism, but I tend to favor Spider-Man's point of view here, even with the knowledge that the Avengers supposedly want to help the Hulk. I'm not familiar at all with Avengers comics from this era, but my impression is that they want to help the Hulk the way he was helped in the early Ultimatum comics, 
by making him a prisoner, a subject for experimentation, or even a weapon. Not that these Avengers would see it that way, but that would be the inevitable result of their apprehending him. One thing I did find funny is that the Avengers spend so much time in the issue doing nothing but standing in a room talking, discussing the Spider-Man artwork. So did I. But then they tell Spider-Man they want him to go after this guy who is the strongest known mortal on the face of the Earth, who just happened to have been sighted in the city. But oh, Cap says the Avengers have all been too busy to go after the Hulk ourselves. I can imagine the Avengers picking... Yeah, and they have girlfriends in Canada. (laughs) He says, I can imagine the Avengers picking out assignments for the day around that table at a meeting. Okay, team, calling to order. On our plate today, we have to foil a series of jewel heists by Stiltman. Oh, also the Hulk has been spotted in the city. So as you can imagine, we are going to be very busy with Stiltman. (laughs) So let's take a look at a few photos of potential new members and see if we can find a good foe for the Hulk. (laughs) Then we'll scour the city looking for whomever we pick. Awesome. Awesome. Keep up the good work, guys, Tom. Tom, that was a jewel. I still think you're Stanley. <laughs> I love all the jokes in the first paragraph. That was that was hilarious. Disease from old trading old podcasts. Yeah. I'm glad good. that more and more people are realizing the folly of the Avengers staring at we've stared at this picture long enough. Like like they seriously don't have any any better ways to analyze somebody. I that's one of my favorite gags of any annual. Oh, that was one of my favorite podcast letters that we've gotten. Well done. You know, very creative. <laughs> so you, you should write back, Tom, in, in the near future. But in the meantime, Josh, why don't you read this letter from Travis? Okay, a shout out on my podcast. Hey, guys, longtime listener, yada, yada. Ooh, Seinfeld reference in an email. I love it. I, or, no, Seinfeld probably didn't coin yada, yada. I love your podcast. As always, I love Spidey, but not always had the time to, or coin, to keep up with his adventures. Your show is giving me that opportunity, and I take advantage of it every episode. I just thought I'd drop you a line and inform you that I mentioned your show on the podcast I co-host, Kicked in the Dice Bags. It's an RPGH gaming podcast that releases weekly, discussing player issues and game master issues on alternating weeks. I co-host the Mastercast, and we were discussing how we came up with ideas for our games. I had to give you guys a shout-out towards the end and play your year two bumper at the end of the episode. I have used your show as a springboard to research in the Silver Age Marvel adventures played under the Marvel Superheroes RPG rules, published by TSR in the 80s. You guys have given me a new perspective on the classics, and I am now going back to read The Essentials. Awesome. Thanks. Anyway, I love listening to your show and hope to keep hearing it long into the future. Have a good one, Travis. Travis, we're going to include a link to your uh, Kicked in the Dice Bags podcast in the notes for the show on the Libsyn page. So if you are a listener and you are interested in in an RPGH-related podcast, such as Kicked in the Dice Bags, then uh, just go to kickedinthedicebags.libsyn.com or click the link from our show notes. Well, our last email for today is going to be from Aiden Moen. It's called Billy Joel. He says, Howdy, guys. Loving the show lately. You guys are great. You're getting up to the point in Lee's run in which I stopped reading. I have the issues as a scan, so I'm looking forward to reading along with y'all. I'm also kind of ashamed that it took me a little while to get the joke that John made at the end of the show. I actually considered writing in and telling you guys to stand up to Marvel, and then I figured out the joke. Okay. Um, Don't feel bad, Aiden. You're not the only one. In fact, I just wanted to come clean with everyone out there. There are are a couple of you in the listening audience that have spoken with me on Facebook about the outrage of Marvel editing our show. 
and I kept up appearances because I wasn't sure how long I wanted to keep the joke going in the show. Turns out we're only going to do it for that one episode. We're not going to keep the reference to Mary Jane and the wedding and marriage and everything. We're not going to keep censoring that out. Marvel did not edit our show. That was all a gag. And um, I apologize for basically lying to those of you that I had in conversations one-on-one. So um, please don't be the last time. (laughs) Please don't hate me. Hope you like the joke and can laugh at it now and not want to send ninjas after me. I I want to send ninjas after everybody, not just you. Okay. That's sweet. Well, Hayden goes on to say, episode 30 also marked the third time you've sung a Billy Joel song on the show, so I decided to tell you my Billy Joel story. I'm also just a big Billy Joel fan, Aiden. Sorry about that. My mother grew up in Hicksville, Billy Joel's hometown, before he was famous. He used to come over to my mother's house to get my uncle so they could hang out. When my grandmother found out that Billy smoked pot in the back room of the local deli, she forbade him from coming to their house. Come on, Virginia... It's a song about Mary Sinclair, who worked at my mother's local church and wouldn't let Billy date her daughter, Virginia, because he was Jewish. Really? I don't know about Billy Joel. I just grew up on his greatest hit CDs. Uh, I know Uptown Girl. (laughs) Does that count? (laughs) He says, anyway, keep up the great work, guys. Sincerely, Aiden M. Moen. Before we move on to the comics, we're going to look at a couple of the iTunes reviews that have come in over the last few months. Um, I'm just going to read a couple of these here quickly because we always appreciate the reviews that are left on iTunes. The first is from Charles Niemeyer. He is a producer of the Superman in the Bronze Age podcast at supermaninthebronzeage.blogspot.com. He says, something for every level of Spidey fan. Five stars. These guys have a lot of work ahead of them, but they sure do enjoy it. Listening to all of Bertoni's rants about Betty have been hilarious, and I can no longer think about comic book science without hearing Donovan's... Science! In my head. And now that we've gotten past the point that John knows like the back of his hand, we also get a rookie's perspective for those of us who are not as up on our Spidey history as we might like. The show has cool stuff for everyone. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Very nice. And uh, the other one is from Frank A365. Truly amazing five stars. Simply the best Silver Age Marvel podcast out there. Thank you very much to both of those. Both you, Frankie, and uh, Charlie for leaving those reviews. And that is going to be it for feedback this time around. I do want to thank everyone for writing in. We are still catching up on the email backlog, but you should still write. Tell us your thoughts on the episode or the stories we're discussing, and that address is AmazingSpidermanClassics at gmail.com. And now... Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. Amazing Spider-Man 46 was released on or around December 8th, 1966, one week before Captain Kirk would have his first encounter with the Romulans. And this makes it our last Spider-Man story for this year. And our guest for the episode, Tyler Crone, is going to tell us all about it. Okay, so Amazing Spider-Man number 46 has a cover of Spider-Man battling the Shocker, and the Shocker knocking over some very Roman architecture-ish looking pillars that are inside of a scientific laboratory for no reason. With a blurb on the cover that says, Who says this isn't a Marvel age of vile new villains? You and Spidey are about to be jolted by the Sinister Shocker. Yeah, we then open to uh, the generic splash page now of Spider-Man on a wall out... Not the, the... Splash page isn't generic, but the fact that there is a splash page is generic. Yeah, you know what I mean. (laughs) Spider-Man is barely hanging to a wall 
with his arm still in a sling after he injured it last issue. Or was it last issue? I'm it's been that. a couple issues back now. And it seems the entire wall is vibrating. So she likes it like that. Oh, God. Dude, it's not the last vibrator joke that's going to happen this episode. <laughs> okay, I didn't even think about that when reading this. Uh, a Stan Lee, John Romita, Spiderific Spectacular, lettered by Sam Rosen, um, with the title The Sinister Shocker. Spider-Man then jumps off the wall and swings on top of a lamppost, uh, noting that the entire building was indeed vibrating. So he sets up his automatic camera and jumps inside to find the Shocker. And as Shocker threatens Spider-Man to uh, shove those wise guy words right down his throat, Spider-Man taunts him by saying, Not from there you won't, unless you can punch clear across a room. The Shocker proves him wrong by, you know, shocking him. From clear across the room. Imagine that. Yeah, he would have thunk it. Spider-Man recovers himself and kicks the Shocker in the face. The Shocker then wails on Spider-Man and does his twin punch with the combined force of both his Vibro Smashers. Oh my <laughs> god, that, sound that sounds really dirty now. I did not even catch that. Dun dun dun! Double fisting action. Oh, it's oh, rock! Oh my god! <laughs> Sorry, <Yeah>. keep going. <laughs> you have to give me a minute. Uh, okay. Okay. Don't know about the move called the Shocker, right? Okay. So Shocker leaves Spider-Man. I, I guess he's leaving him for dead because you know nobody survives that. And he teaches Spider-Man not to challenge his superiors as he makes off with the money from the heist that he was pulling. Spider-Man then climbs out of the window and gets his camera back and changes back in the Peter Parker and, you know, just kind of reflects on the fact that he was completely helpless and he should have had both of his arms in that fight. He's then picked up by his good pal, Harry Osborn. Harry Osborn just got a car from his dad, Norman, because now Norman's a nice guy because he's no longer the Green Goblin. And, you know, they make jokes about it. And as Peter goes into the Daily Bugle... He's noted by uh, Mr. Foswell, mostly because he said, hello, Peter. And Peter's too busy thinking to himself to even notice Foswell, because this is what gets him in trouble so much of the time. So Foswell decides to tail Peter on the street later when he leaves. Peter sells the pics of Spider losing to Jameson, um, who looks very ecstatic to see the webhead getting his curmudgeons, at least in his eyes anyway. As Peter leaves, he's tailed by Patch, Foswell's secret identity, and we cut to the shocker getting away in the sewers. He gets to a secret hideout and dumps out all of his money while he flashes back to his origin story about how he was just a small-time crook until he was caught again. Because he's so good with tools. Because he's so good with vibrators, you mean? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, okay, because he was so good with tools, they decided to let him work in the prison workshop because that worked out so well with the vulture and everybody. <laughs> and he builds himself his first vibro smashers. He then escapes from jail, makes his way home, sews together a costume, and makes condensed version of these same Vibro Smashers so that he can go out and rob banks, because that's what he does. Peter then runs into his Aunt May Parker and discusses moving in with uh, Harry. And um, when they go back to his house, they see Anna Watson and Mary Jane there. And we get some... Uh, Wonderful dialogue. Yeah, some colorful dialogue from... Mary Jane, I still, I still seriously think she's high. I don't know what, I, I heard you guys when you discussed 42 and 43, but I'm sorry, she's 
totally smoking something. <laughs> they go to a party, and Gwen's dancing. Who is she dancing no. with? Looks like she's dancing with Flash. Yeah, she is oh. dancing with Flash in that bottom panel. Oh, okay. Cool. I don't know. I, I have black and white. She could be anybody. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. She's okay. Oh, that, that's why <laughs> it's because Don has the essentials. He, oh, he believe me, we're gonna sell us here, here and now tonight. Believe me. <laughs> Basically, then uh, Peter has to leave the party early, and as Patch is tailing him, apparently he tailed him like all day on just a hunch. Peter goes and changes into Spider Man, and Patch has discovered the secret of. The connection between Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Peter is Spider-Man. So, because Peter has his spider sense, he can tell that somebody was watching him because it's this magical tell-all device. He knows exactly who it is, too, without even looking at him. Yeah. He lifts his mask up and down to uh, make it sound like he's talking to Spider-Man and then Peter. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and to tell you the truth, at first I thought it, he was trying to make it sound like he was making a phone call, like on a cell phone, but then I realized this was the 60s. <laughs> the ultimate Spider-Man, maybe. Yeah. So he then takes off his Spider-Man costume, makes a webbing dummy, and has it swing off into the distance. <laughs> and Pac says, well, that's good enough for me, and walks away. Peter then decides now's the perfect time to take off his sling. Because, you know, he's done with it. And whoever heard of a superhero babying himself? So he decides to go try to find a shocker again. He notes that this is a pretty big town. So I kind of like how he even kind of references the futility of trying to find somebody in New York City, even though he does it at the bottom of this page. (laughs) There he is. (laughs) There are only 17 million. Oh, there's the one I need. (laughs) I mean, he is kind of in a yellow quilted costume. What's with the quilting anyway? I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> he goes to uh, the Shocker's uh, secret science lair, where we, we recreate the cover where uh, Shocker blasts over some more of those Roman ar- architecture pillars. Spider-Man, you know, fights it out, except this time because he has both arms, he's much more prepared to handle the Shocker, and he's used to uh, the Shocker's tactics by now. Shocker tries to throw him down a flight of stairs, but because he has his uh, spider sense, he's able to catch himself and throw himself in spider agility. There's a lot of fighting. I'm not going to go in detail describing the entire scene. Right. But basically the fight ends when Spider-Man webs the Shocker's shoulders to his thumb so he can no longer press the buttons to uh, activate his Shocker things. Because, you know, it's not possible that he could bend his elbows. (laughs) So Spider-Man punches him out, webs him up nicely, and leaves him for the police. And makes his way home so he can rest up for the big moving day tomorrow. Actually, I think what he did whenever he webbed the um, Shocker, I think he webbed his thumbs, basically tying his thumbs back to his forearms so that he can't lower them and press the charges. Again, I still don't see why he can't lean forward and bend his elbows. I I can see the artwork and I see what he did there. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, he could just bend his elbows more and move. Okay, you're right. You're totally right. The Shocker doesn't know that. (laughs) Obviously doesn't. So again, Peter goes back home to rest before the big moving day, um, and he wakes up all happy and everything. And when he comes downstairs, he finds Aunt May crying because, you know, Peter's actually growing up and doing something besides, you know, doing the equivalent of living in his mother's basement, even though he's actually living in his aunt's attic. But, you know, whatever. (laughs) And I'm sorry. Okay, I realize that there 
drawing it probably the best way they can draw it. But if you forget about who these people are and look at the bottom panel on that page with Peter oh, and May, God. and then you look at the pay the first panel of the next page with May and Anna, it's just really really terrible. That's like he dumped her from relationships. Yeah. <laughs> He basically told Aunt May that they were through, and she went back to her lesbian lover. Oh, Peter, where are you going? What does it look like I'm doing? You can't decide between me and Anna Watson, and she's an old lady. But what about our living arrangement? Doesn't it mean anything to you? More than it means to you? Look at me. Can you honestly tell you that I'm your nephew? Yeah, I didn't think so. And then Peter moves in with Harry. Oh. (laughs) Fanfic. (laughs) <laughs> to go play with his little goblins. Yeah, it, it, it's uh, it's lovely, actually. Peter then gets on his motorcycle that I forgot he still had at this point and heads over to his notepad and quietly reminisces on how he's depressed that he's actually moving out of his aunt's house. Next issue, the return of Craven the Hunter and Spider-Man goes to Jersey and misses all of it. Oh, OK, we'll talk about that in a little bit. See, I don't even know the nature of the story, so you're going to be uh, you're going to be informing me. Okay. Well, thank you for that recap, Wait. Tyler. Going back and looking at the issue, first of all, what do you guys think of the Shocker? I like him. I like that he is one of those characters who doesn't have a silly power that's brought on by bird poop or anything. I like that he uses his powers intelligently. Like when Spider-Man hits him, he sort of like softens the blows with what he can do. And I'm not sure if he's like the deadliest. Foe Spider-Man's ever fought, but I, I, I like the ingenuity of the character. I like the fact that he has like, like cushions all over him to protect himself. And really, it's one of those characters that you think could be a good guy just on the basis of how he uh, got his uh, suit together. But I think that it's interesting that he's like this really yeah in prison. Yeah, in prison. Yeah, for some reason. He get yeah. yeah. I guess he, you know, he, he's 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 a good he's he's it's the origin of a good guy. Again, your powers in prison. <laughs> was Luke Cage and Harrison Ford. The Fugitive. Oh. I actually Uh, really like this character. He's actually one of my uh, favorite villains. And because, you know, he's so ridiculous. Yeah, he actually poses a threat sometimes. Within this story alone, I really think it's minor. And he doesn't, like, bring anything unique to the story that, like, this could have been a lizard issue or a vulture issue or a craven issue. This is a lizard issue. It would be annoying because, like, he he would have to come back immediately after being cured again. Or more naturally, an electro issue, because he's basically Electro's powers. Right, except he vibrates, Electro doesn't. But Right, but you know what? The... He's called the Shocker. <laughs> I know. I, I'll never... Okay, no more. When did you first run across the Shocker, Josh? Oh, 90s show. In the 90s show, his origin is, like, so innocuous, and, like, his character is so innocuous that, like, they literally set up his character by, like, they have Spencer Spice's... No, Alistair Spice's... Saying to the kingpin, I have the perfect man for the job. No, I have the perfect device and the perfect man to use it. And then, like, next scene, the Shocker's roughing up Eddie Brock. And he's really threatening. In fact, in the entire animated series, you never find out his identity. In fact, for some reason, in prison, he keeps on his suit underneath his prison graves. And whenever his suit gets wet, he has to uh, leap heroically out, out of um, water or else he'll explode. The one time that happened, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a trope of his, believe me. But then Spectacular Spider-Man completely changed who he was. How do you figure? In Spectacular Spider-Man, it's not Herman Schultz who's the shocker. Really? Yeah. You didn't know this. Oh, you're talking about the cartoon. I thought, I thought you meant like the, like, the, like the title. No, I'm sorry. The Spectacular, because yeah, we're talking about adaptations. Yeah, the Spectacular Spider-Man. Oh, yeah, Spider-Man. yeah, 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 yeah,
Okay. Don't you mock me, bug? But Weissman had a really good explanation for that. He said, apart from being the shocker, there's nothing about Herman Schultz that anyone cares about. There's nothing about his secret identity that matters. And so it doesn't really matter who you put in the suit. There's people that, like, were, like, putting on Donovan's review that, like, if Electro's not Max Dillon, it's, like, he's not Electro. But I actually really liked how they gave the Shocker some technical know-how. Like, he built this. He was actually an evil scientist instead of just some thug. Well, he seemed like a thug in this issue. He just seemed like he happened to know what to do. Because, like, he's saying, you know, I'm a two-time loser. I ain't got a chance. And, like, I don't I don't imagine Shocker really talking like that. Which is interesting, just because I'm, I'm so used to that really sadistic voice he has. Yeah. I'm more, used to him. I'm more used to him like, yelling at the rhino and stuff. Yeah. Him saying I'm a two-time loser and then saying, oh no, they heard the nitro. A, it looks like he's cracking the safe just by, you know, turning the knob. There is no nitro anywhere in that scene. B, I'm pretty sure they just heard him shouting because he has an exclamation. Well, um, I, I always liked the shocker. Mainly because whenever I was getting into Spider-Man comics in the early 90s, they had the Deadly Foes of Spider-Man, and the Shocker was there. As a, he completely lost all confidence in himself because he had been attacked by Scourge, and Scourge was out there still, and he thought Scourge was going to kill him. But that by the end of the four issues, he's bigger and better and ready, raring to go. You know, it is, He's got his confidence back, and he's been magically healed. All of those characters, the Shocker, the Beetle, the Rhino, the Speed Demon, and Boomerang, those are all in my mind as Spider-Man villains that I like seeing earlier appearances of. One of the, one of the earliest comics I've read with the Shocker uh, was uh, that uh, Howard Mackey, John Romita Jr. story where he, he and uh, the Trapster, formerly known as Pacepot Pete, were chasing um, Spider-Man and Paul Stacy because they were like glued together and they were like running around town trying to hide because... Obviously, Spider-Man's sort of incapacitated when he's glued to a bystander. And um, that's when I got to know that this the Shocker character is very, like, businessman-like. He's not very vengeful or even crazy. At least I've not read any appearances where he is. He's sort of like just a career criminal who just does things for the money. Like, he could have finished off Spider-Man, but he was told to leave him alone. He's like, all right, whatever. So I, I think I think he's an interesting uh, standout in, in, the, in that regard. The real first exposure I got to him was through the Spider-Man movie game. On okay. PlayStation 2, I don't know what you guys remember from... I don't know if you guys played that or remember that. I think actually that I did play it, because I remember I remember playing some game that had the Shocker in it. It might have been that one. might have been that one. It might have been just the original Spider-Man, like the one that was kind of more based off the animated series, but I, I think they both had the Shocker in them, didn't they? Either way, doesn't matter. But yeah, that was just a really, like... I remember that level in particular, because I don't know why, but the Shocker was like the hardest boss for me to beat in that entire game. And having to go through Grand Central Station like six times, keep rescuing civilians, and by the sixth <laughs> time, I was, I was just like, I know what's going to happen. You should too. You should too, random civilians. Right. <laughs> well, let's go, let's look at the book. I like the fact that they kept Peter's arm busted up. Uh, this is a new and completely separate story to what had gone before. So they could have just you know put speed put Peter back the way he was supposed to be, but keeping his arm kind of messed up, sort of kept continuity going that's just one of those things about this era with with lee and ramita that i enjoy it's not just isolated adventures everything ties into the next story um i I like the fact that um in the first half it's there in the second half it's not and he and that's that's not why he beats him but then again he probably couldn't have won if he had not webbed shocker's vibro fist with both of his arms at the same time so it's not saying ah with my arms i could easily beat shocker but 
it's kind of played into the plots, which is kind of cool. I'm trying to remember. Did he fall? It's like, like this, I mean, this has happened before with his injured arm, but that was done in what issue, I believe. Whereas this has been continuing for three issues now. So I'm right. wondering. Like, I, I'm, I'm just wondering, like, you know, if they actually had the time to have him fall from a higher height. But, um, I mean, it's healed by, the, by halfway through this thing. And it, obviously storytelling methods have evolved since, you know, issue seven or whenever it was that he got hurt by the vulture. But I'm just looking through seven. to see. Was it seven? Yeah. I'm looking to see where it was that he got hurt by the vulture and how it was that he got hurt so badly. He fell from, like, in the middle of the sky, though, I think. Or, like, yeah, or on a skyscraper. Whereas with the lizard, didn't, like, he was, like, knocked off, like, like a, like a, like a window or something? With the vulture, he fell from the vulture to a roof. That could have been 10 feet. It could have been 20 feet. With this, he was webbed up between two skyscrapers. And the lizard tore his webs, and he fell the entire length of the skyscraper down to the floor. And he probably landed on his arm. Right. It looks like the way it's drawn, he landed right on that shoulder. So, yeah, I would see that this is probably a more major injury than than the one in issue seven. Okay, so on page two, Spider-Man. Well, I'm not Hubert Humphrey. Mm-hmm. And like I always have to do, I have to go in and get the, the, the pop culture current events references. Uh, so for those of you who were not alive in 1966, Hubert Humphrey was vice president of the United States at this time under President Johnson. And in the next election, he's going to run for president, but he will lose to Richard Nixon, a guy you probably never heard of. That is one thing we haven't really been keeping track of on the show as far as what's going on in the rest of the world is who's president at the time that the stories were coming out. But I guess it doesn't really matter because we're only on our second. We had John F. Kennedy when Spider-Man very, very first started, but he sort of got killed. And ever since then, it's been president. <laughs> Whoa, spoilers, John, spoilers. Yeah, I know, right? Um, what what around what issue was did was he assassinated? It was in the single digits. I don't remember exactly when it was, but um, Spider Man's regular series started in uh, December of nineteen sixty two, and it was bi monthly for a while. So it was probably around uh, eight or nine that uh, John Kennedy was 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 killed. But there was oh a um, a pop culture reference that I missed last episode. Peter Parker told Aunt May not to do too much Watusi while she was on vacation. And um, I had no effing clue what Watusi was, so I looked oh, it up. Oh, that's a dance. Yeah, it's a dance, not a drug. Adam Westall. <laughs> right. The, 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 the best. best. <laughs> what, uh, in the very first episode when he was doing the, like, the twist with the girls? Was it the first episode? Oh, my lord. They say, wow, Batman, you really know how to shake a cape. Yeah. And then Robin's like 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 bumping on hydraulics in the back in the Batmobile. Right, right. And they try to steal the Batmobile, but it has the anti-theft uh, device installed. Mm-hmm. Did we ever see Peter retrieve his camera last issue? No, I don't remember. I mean, we can always assume that he retrieved the you know the camera off panel. Which is funny because at the end of 44, whenever Peter is over angsting about not being able to go out with May, Mary Jane and having the busted arm and having to live a life of a recluse until it heals up, one of the things he says is that he accidentally left his camera out and that somebody might steal it. But I looked through 45, I don't see him retrieving it, but here he's using it to uh, take photos of the shocker. So I just wasn't sure about that. <laughs> Maybe it's like with um, 
what what issue was it? Issue twenty four, where like they literally like when they reprint, they take out that thought that like speech balloon. Good thing I retrieved my camera. That's what, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> Speaking of photos, you notice that 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 Jonah says so he calls himself the Shocker A without Peter ever saying that, and then by the end of that page, the entire city knows that he's called the Shocker. Right? And that's I know we were talking last time about people knowing things at the right time. That's kind of that's that's sort of on the bad side of these dated comics. The fact that like he he could have always said, "Well, how do you know Parker?" And then I don't know. Well, maybe in the time that Peter handed in the photos to, he he mentioned that it's, it's pictures of a shocker. Hmm. I that you mentioned this Peter Jonah conversation because let me read some selected lines from it because it does not read like a Peter Jonah conversation. It's like Mary Jane and like Jonah have like switched bodies, like Freaky Friday style. Like, Mr. James, I see you for a minute. What's the matter, Parker? You forget what I look like? like? When does Jonah talk like that? Nobody could forget a thing like that, sir. All right, all right. What's on your mind? Okay, blah, blah, blah. Talking about photos. That's what I figured. So how about some bread? If you're hungry, go downstairs, commissary, and charge it to me. I was referring to Scratch. Long green. Folding stuff. Money to you. Money. Don't you trust me, Parker? A question like that could ruin a great relationship, JJ. <laughs> I like that quote because it is so dated. It's like, they never talk like, like, Jonah's, like, really upbeat, and he's doing, like, you know, double entendres, not sexual entendres, but you know what I mean, like. Yeah, like, it, like double, double ended jokes. It's really weird. Well, like, I mean, like, I think all the characters, okay, not, I'm not gonna say all the characters, but, like, the majority of the characters do have, like, sort of, like, the same sensibilities towards uh, slang and everything. I mean, obviously, the, 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 the ESU kids do, but if I ever see a comment where Betty Brandt says, you know, let's make the scene, Ned. I might just stop reading the comic right there. Uh, see, I, I kind of read Jonah's as Jonah's lines as being pretty straight. Peter is definitely Stanley's guinea pig for slang here, which is kind <laughs> of overdone. <laughs> it's, it's a back and forth. Like you don't see Peter and Jonah have back and forths like this before. No. I like that quote. A question like that can ruin a great relationship, JJ. I think it's a good Peter Parker quote. So with with the uh, patch and his brilliance in trying to figure out how Peter Parker gets his pictures. Spoiler alert, Peter uses an iPhone. That's how he gets the pictures. <laughs> is, is, it, is it me or, or is, or is uh, Falswell slash Patch sort of played as antagonistic here? I mean, honestly, he's trying to fight, figure out the identity of our hero, but he makes a lot of really evil faces. Both in and out of the mask. Yeah. I don't know. I always – I didn't really think that. I just thought it was really weird that he followed around this college kid literally all day. <laughs> just like Johnny Storm. Actually, it was pretty much for 24 hours there because it's nighttime when uh, Harry drops him off. He goes over. It looks like it's almost daytime the next day later on, and then it's nighttime again when Patch follows them. It's weird. It's very, very strange. Well, it's, it's like, you know, he, he says he, – I mean, I, I know he's, he's not going to uh, ask Peter because Peter wants to hear it a secret, but he's like, <laughs> something tells me there's going to be a great story and if my suspicions are correct. I mean, he's, he's sort of like, like – um, grimacing every time with an evil smirk and like i find it odd but I, I think it is really just kind of like playing up the foreshadowing of him trying to become a, a bad spoilers a bad guy in the next couple of issues that's that's what i think but i may be looking into it a little bit but he, he really I, I think he really does is sort of played as sort of villainous in this issue even though he's not he isn't he really isn't well yeah i guess if if we're going to have somebody threatening our hero then we're going to have to depict him somewhat villainously which is a little bit dishonest in the storytelling I mean, because he, he can just be legitimately curious and trying to get to the bottom of something without necessarily having mean intentions. He's just 
he's tired of Peter getting this special deal. He wants to know what the heck's going on. It's funny because Peter says uh, in panel four, whenever he's talking to Harry before he goes into the Daily Bugle, he thinks to himself, it's funny the way Harry and I have become real good friends. Yeah. It's funny that Peter calls real good friends. Either there's a lot going on between these two guys, between issues, or he's just starred for social attention. Because this is only like the third... He's starred for social attention, without a doubt. (laughs) I mean, he's not really had an equal male friend around his age group to uh, sort of like talk about the same stuff with. Like girls and stuff like that. I mean, I I don't think... There was Skip, but that, you know, was just confusing for him, emotionally. Yeah, the wonderful skip retcon. Well, it's, no, it's odd no because skip, no skip retcons. <laughs> I remember in um, I'll say it again, Spider-Man Blue. How like once after Peter uh, apprehends uh, not apprehends but like defeats the Green Goblin and Nor- Norman Osborn goes to the hospital. That uh, had Peter and Harry sort of like start becoming friends because Peter was there checking on Norman and Harry was in the hospital and Harry he took took uh, Peter's uh, frantic sense of curiosity as to whether he still has a memory or not as a sign of um, goodwill. So that's sort of like the reason why they started uh, being on the up and up with each other. Whereas here, it's sort of just like uh, that one issue. was is 39 where Peter was asking him what's wrong with Harry. And then he sort of opened up to him. Okay, also, I mentioned last time, there, there was a scene last episode where Peter uh, sort of had an internal monologue about how Mary Jane is a bit of an airhead and not really worth his time. And mm-hmm. I guess that was sort of a... A temporary thought, because he begins to relax on that in this issue and start thinking of her romantically again. Well, you know, she's hot, and he's like, you know, 18 or 19 years old. Yeah, yeah. That's true, but um, yeah, well, it, it is a passing thought that sort of like goes in and out of his ear. And I think we talked last time how that was like really the only time he's ever thought negatively of Mary Jane. And there's a scene at the at the very bottom of page six where Foswell says, I'm positive there's some connection between Parker and that wily webslinger. And I just want to point out that Norman Osborne had that exact same thought balloon during New Ways to Die. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> when, when you get, when, just, just considering who wrote that, I don't want that to be... <laughs> better be a coincidence. The sad thing is Osborne had that in New Ways to Die. Not in 19, you know, 64... He had it in 2008. Yep. Let's sit on that one for a while. After all those years of being right next to him. So what does Jonas do with coffee breaks the last couple issues? Do you think there was like an inside joke about inside the bullpen or something? Because he was bitching about coffee breaks last time and, and good, 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 even the press room doesn't answer. How long do coffee breaks last around here anyway? I, I, that wouldn't surprise me. Just like Stan making a, like a nod at something going on inside the office. I mean, it's not as if it's something that's exactly a rare right i just figured that it was you know a way to show the readers that like jonah basically is a slave driver at work like instead of like you know going like there's that whole thing in writing show not tell instead of like going by like betty brand's desk and having betty say boy jonah's a real jerk at work they show up by having jonah like yeah what they're you know they're having a coffee break which a coffee break i'm assuming at this point in the 60s is an accepted you know thing that isn't frowned upon yeah i i, I would be surprised if it was was or if it was frowned upon so I, I just figure that this is you know a way of not doing clunky exposition of like showing the readers you know how jonah treats his employees could be he just seems to hate everybody like, 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 why don't they answer me? Why, why won't they pay attention to me? Like, he's, he's, like, clenching his fist and throwing them in the air. I, I, I think we said before, but Jonah's getting getting more and more cartoony. 
oh, he's we use this word a lot, but I mean, yeah, Jonah Jonah gets flanderized for a long time, and then and then like there was a thing among writers around like the seventies and eighties, and like beyond, we're like. You know, you had to make Jonah this, like, teddy bear. Like, you had to show that Jonah had a heart of gold. And then there's the writers that just, like, want to have him blame Spider-Man for global warming. The dialogue, ever since Mary Jane moved out, like, you know, they bring that up again. And, again, this isn't Stan's fault because, you know, that's Conway's fault for retconning it when he did Parallel Lives. But (sighs) Mary Jane lived with Anna Watson for less than a week. (laughs) And it's like... Anna's so lonely ever since Mary Jane moved out. Like, what the heck? <laughs> How long do you think it's been since he's met Mary Jane in, in uh, continuity? A few weeks, maybe. Right. So, yeah. So she, she has to either repeatedly go back there or the Conway retcon makes no sense, which we're leaning towards the latter. No, no, Mary Jane was completely moved out by the time they met because, like, Peter rings up. At least she has her own apartment. Oh, right, right. Like, unless some writer wants to, like, put in that, like, Mary Jane did move back in for, like, little periods here and there, we have to accept, you know, what's on the page. So, Aunt May talks about selling the house. I don't remember, because I haven't read those Wolfman issues in a while, but I'm pretty sure that, like, the process of selling the house, that was, like, when the burglar got involved again, when he comes back in the Wolfman run looking for buried treasure. <laughs> I think you're right, yeah. And because, like... Like, people forget that, like, this is, like, the last we'll see of a Parker house for a while. Like, the house he grew up in. Because when Aunt May's, like, in Forest Hills, she's in Anna Watson's house. Like, nobody lives in that house again until around the 80s, right after the first Top Goblin arc, when Aunt May and Nathan Lebunsky opened up the um, nursing home. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, wait, wait. Whenever uh, Aunt May's leasing out rooms to the octopus in the Conway run. Yeah, that's in Anna Watson's house. Really? <laughs> oh no! That's so weird. That's so like yeah. I never actually thought about that. That like the original house was just sitting there collecting dust for like decades. When when the burglar looks into it, like in the Wolfman Run, like it literally is like in dust. It's like falling apart. You know, a far cry from Mark Millar's like run where Peter goes into his. He's like, oh, what I love about this house on me is that you never changed a thing and you never packed my stuff up. And then room <laughs> no, like, there's an issue. I think it's like, it might be 193, where like, it's in the 190s, where the burglar's in the house and there is no furniture. It's just like wood and it looks like a Scooby Doo haunted house. How appropriate. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, That's- no, they were, nobody lives in that house again until. Until the 80s, when it becomes... I said nursing house. It, it was a boarding home, excuse me. Dude, that's crazy. I mean, like... Because if you remember the 90s show, they teased that he was moving out. He moved back in, and then he didn't move out again until season four. And, like, like you wonder, like... I mean, obviously, obviously, they don't have to have the exact same continuity, but... I don't know. That, that, I mean, didn't they... They played it up in Spider-Man 2, I think, where he got his own place. But, man. Yeah. People just assume that, like, when we're in Forest Hills, and I think even the writers forgot from time to time, but it's Anna Watson's house, and I I believe, you know, like, it's stated as much when we get to Doc Ock boarding there, because they said, like, well, Anna's going on vacation, so, like, you know, I'm going to get a boarder for a little while or something like that. Well, when Peter and Mary Jane live with Aunt Anna, are are they in Aunt Anna's original home? When they live with Aunt Anna in the 90s, they are back in the Parker house. The original uh-huh. returns when the when the boarding home is opened after Aunt May, because after okay, 
<laughs> Sit down. <laughs> the history of Aunt May's residence. She's in the Parker house. Then she lives with Anna Watson for a while. And then sometimes Anna Watson's in Florida. Sometimes she isn't, but Aunt May's in that house. Gwen Stacy yells at Aunt May in, a, you know, in, in about two years' worth of episodes' time. Aunt May runs away from home and goes to live with Dr. Octopus. Yeah. Dr. Octopus, you know, blows up, but not really. And uh, Aunt May moves back in with Hannah Watson. Eventually, Aunt May goes to a nursing home after having a bunch of heart attacks and, like, Mysterio fakes her death. She's in a nursing home. She meets Nathan Lebunsky, and eventually she, like, comes home, and that's when they open up the boarding house in the original Parker house, which is where she lives until she, quote-unquote, dies. And 400. Yeah, yeah. Then she's in, like, the high-rise apartment with, like, Peter and Mary Jane in the reboots. Then she's back in the original house. Then the original house burns down because of Molten Man 2.0. Oh, no. Well, she has an apartment in Marvel Knights, but then, like, that's literally reversed at the end of the story. Like, Peter's like, never mind about you getting your own apartment. You're staying in Forest Hills. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so then the house burns down. They're in Avengers Tower. Then uh, then they live with Betty Brandt, of all things, right before Brand New Day. <laughs> like, that was a retcon in Spider-Man Family. Because, like, when, when you see what happened when Harry came back, like, Peter's yelling at Betty over the phone, like, why didn't you tell me Harry was back? And Betty's like, I gave up my apartment so that you and your aunt have a place to say, I know this doesn't help my case at all, but, you know. <laughs> I, no, no, no. It's, it's, it's crazy. Exactly. Like, see, Karen would never do that. She had a nice moment. It doesn't make up for her, but I digress. And then... Harry. When you when you when you kiss your son, it makes it does not necessarily make up for the ten times you beat him last week. <laughs> so yeah, that's an overcomplicated, you know, tangent yeah, of the, uh... Vame's residence based on the whole comment about her selling the house and Mary Jane moving out. No, dude, I really did. I had no idea. Yeah, it's 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 one of those things that like people just like I said, they people they just don't ass- know. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but like seriously, damn, it's crazy. <laughs> I love how Harry asked Peter, do you want to move in with me? And Peter literally says, let me ask my Aunt May's permission. Which, yes, get in the context of who Peter Parker is and his relationship with his aunt and the the fact that she's sick. Like, yeah, he wants to ask her, but, like, just the way it's worded, it's like, date. Like, let me see if it's okay with my Aunt May first. Yeah, I mean, because he... Well, he follows it up. He should say something like, let me check with my aunt or I live with my aunt. I need to talk it over with her or something, but... You know, to to say you need to get her permission when you're a college kid is is a bit strange. Is your kind of a wuss? Well, he says, um, uh, I gotta find out how my aunt May would take it. You know, I'm the only relative she's got, and she's sort of dependent on me. Let me check it out with her at first, as soon as I, she gets back. And thanks a million, fellow. Yeah, and then I think Harry says your aunt gave you permission. That's great, Pete. Actually, I'm, I'm gonna retract that because I mean, kids who are in college like to be independent. But let me just think about this for a second. Um, if you are still dependent upon your parents and you're going to college and you want to get an apartment with a friend, I can see how you would have to ask your parents if that's okay. Yeah, I definitely yeah. see that, especially, you know, since, I mean, and also just, you know, who Peter is and what his aunt's like. I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense, actually. Uh, just going to college myself right now, if I was going to go even though I don't live with my parents, if I was going to go from on-campus to off-campus, I'd still talk it over with them first, and I'd have to consult them before going to my friends. Well, that actually happened to my brother, like, this past month. Like, he was going to stay uh, 
This is where you can cut out. But he was going to stay uh, in Knoxville where he was going to college, and he's going to get an apartment there. But once they found out that he had, had, had not had a secure job, they, like, demanded him to come home. So it's sort of like a push and pull between uh, solidarity and dependence. Going in line with what John said about lots of stuff happening between the panels, Peter mentions, wow, Harry's been seeing a lot of Gwen lately. Mm-hmm. As of what's been going on on panel, they've seen each other once. So either Peter's assuming more than what's going on, or, like John said, we're just missing a lot of the other adventures. So uh, Harry and Gwen are dating right now off, off panel. Right, but he everyone's dating everyone because supposedly Harry and Mary Jane had a maybe or not maybe date a few issues ago as well. Oh, okay. believe me, we're, we're, we're selling this tonight. Look <laughs> at my Skype status. It's, it's Archie, you know, like, you know, Betty dates Reggie sometimes, sometimes Reggie dates Veronica, Veronica dates Archie, Jughead dates nobody, except for once in a while they'll give him a girlfriend. It, it, it's Archie. Uh, if, if uh, real quick, if we go into the Silver Spoon scene, yeah, we, we have uh, Gwen dancing with Flash, but then like I think in the next panel, uh, you see Gwen. She's like, she wants to dance with Harry. So it's like, I mean, I, I actually have a conclusion about this, which I didn't really figure until uh, today, but um, it really is like sort of like just pass the person along. Yeah, I mean, it's not like you know she's with Flash and she's like, I love you so much, Flash. We're gonna get married after college, and then she says the no, same it's thing. Not. It's just, you know, whoever happens to be, like, paying for the movie or paying for the soda, and it's considered a date, but, like, you know, nobody's getting pinned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Gwen still looks remarkably similar to Steve Ditko's rendition. I was surprised at how little she's changed in the, in the almost ten issues we've had now. Like, if you took this Gwen Stacy and put her next to the Gwen Stacy who falls off the bridge... No, you wouldn't necessarily be able to say they were the same person. And if you drop them at the same time, who would hit the water first? Well, it depends if one of them is Superman or not, because he tends to fall faster than anything else. And it depends on if like one of them hits the water and one of them falls into a time dilation porthole. <laughs> no, where does she go? I actually, in this detention, I'm flipping forward to like a few issues, like issue 49 and 50, and I think her face is the same, but her face changes along when Romita. And, and other artists like John Masima get on the character more, and she sort of becomes more of like you know the, the crying chick. Now that that said about Gwen and Harry and the dancing thing, when she says, "How about dancing with the lady, Mister Osborne?" I think that that's less about dancing with Harry and more about showing Peter, "Oh look, I'm dancing with another guy. Do you notice me now, Peter?" <laughs> um, I don't want to disagree with that, but that's that, I mean I, I, I never thought about it that way just because. I guess, is she looking at Peter or not? I can't really tell. This is, this is the same Gwen that, like, followed him into a space exhibit saying, at last, my chance, now he'll notice me. Why hasn't he looked at me yet? Why hasn't he looked at me? Oh, look, the looter. That coward, he's running away. How I hate him, yet how I love him. How dare he not notice me, but how dare he run away? If he notices me, I'll punch him in the nuts. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is also like, um, does Peter's thought process provide exposition for the reader? Because so many times, I think these two issues, he's like, Faces, son. Uh, when you were uh, when you first met, you had to deal with supervillains, but now when you don't, she doesn't like you anymore. So like, you have to wonder if that's actually the situation or if that's just his perspective. And I think it's it's a little bit clouded in these two issues. It's interesting to look at. Just judging by what Gwen's behavior was before this, and judging by what her behavior is going to be after this, I'd say yeah. Asking Harry the dance while Harry's in the middle of a conversation with Peter 
that's not an accident. Well, also, Peter's on his way out the door while he and Harry are talking. I mean, Peter came here with Mary Jane. He asks her if she wants to do something with, together with him, and she's like, no, I'm too busy dancing, dude, get away. And um, <laughs> she's like, okay, I'm leaving. She's like, have a happy. And uh, on the way out the door, he says, hey, Harry, you know, that offer you made this morning? Well, I hope you don't snore, son. And he's like, yay. And Gwen says, dance with me. And Peter says, bye. When you put it that way, that sarcastic, sarcastic way, I can sort of see where you're coming from. But hmm, this is actually kind of more, a little more uh, layered than I thought it was initially. I just thought it was like uh, stupid insanely hijinks. For this. I thought that it was just everyone at the Silver Spoon having a good time. <laughs> oh no. It was, it was like happy days. They were, they were at uh, Arnold's all the time. Oh, God. <laughs> Gwen's dancing with flashy days. Gwen's dancing with hairy days. Gwen's Sorry. dancing with Peter days. Mary Jane. <laughs> Recon bait. What is she? <laughs> yeah. Who is she married to? <laughs> well, <laughs> these issues are all up for debate. <laughs> <laughs> With Tom Bosley as Mephisto. Professor Warren, the like cool professor that like you know hangs out with the kids at the Silver Spoon and then clones them. <laughs> For the, for the process of sex. <laughs> it was sure nice of you to help me study this stuff after hours, Professor Warren. Oh, no problem, Gwen. Sit closer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> actually, um, this, this actually might be kind of off topic, but it's still about Spider-Man. Do you think that... Because uh, they, don't, they don't actually show this. Do you think Gwen and Peter have given their blood samples to Warren yet? No. Because... Uh, oh, the headband. <laughs> well, not that the headband has anything to do with genetics, but... <laughs> Just to clarify. <laughs> well, she was cloned. She had longer hair than this. It is, but okay. When they did the what if, like, what if the spider clone had lived, they played it as if, like, he gave the, like, blood samples during the Dicko days because, like, the what if version of Ben Riley, who had no memories of, like, anything between issues, like, 30 something and, like, 150, he was, like, walking around. He didn't know where he lived. He didn't know that Flash Thompson was his friend. And, like, I think the most telling thing of all was he was surprised and, like, really, really sad when he found out that Betty Brandt had married Ned Leeds. So, if we go by that logic, yes, by now they gave their blood samples, but (sighs) clones having the memories of their hosts. The explanation that they give is, quote-unquote, RNA memory cells. And we've seen that the Gwen clone remembers stuff that, like, happened to the original Gwen up until after her father's death. Up until after she got back from London. So I'm going to say that the what if the spider clone had lived thing is just a big continuity error, which there's been other things about that have been disproven, and it's a what if. And that Peter and Gwen didn't give their blood samples to Warren until sometime, you know, around the first Shashan story. I would actually now, say that, um, uh, real quick, I, I think maybe possibly in that, in that spectacular Spider-Man story where, where Green Goblin comes back, possibly around then, but I could be wrong. That's a, sh- a shot now. in the dark reel. I'm not going to pretend to be the clone uh, experts that you guys are, but about the whole, I don't think that whole memory thing is really even correct because I always thought that he took like the RNA cells from Peter as soon as he knocked him out. So I thought that the Ben clone, I thought the Ben clone should have had memories going up until when Peter was knocked out. Therefore making them, you know, essentially two identical beings. Yep, no, no, you're right, Tyler. That's exactly what happened. And the what if totally discounted that, which is why, <laughs> why the 
the problem is like he never had a chance to take Gwen's samples. Like he never knocked Gwen out because you know she was a corpse. Unless like he did take Gwen's samples in issue thirty, but then like dug up her grave and took RNA memory cells that way. Because that's how science works. That's yeah. how science works. Would it be the first time Gwen's grave was dug up? Yeah, since past, where Peter's like, I'm so sorry! Like, screaming and crying in the rain, like, as dramatic as all can get out. You know, Warren is willing to go to clones. How far do you think he's willing to go to be with Gwen? Are you trying to suggest that he's a necrophiliac? Yes, that is exactly what I'm trying to suggest. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I would say it's not possible, but then again, I've been proven wrong every time I said it's not possible. Except for, <laughs> except for except for flashing people, but never you know. don't even know half of you don't even know half of what Warren's been up to. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh my god, I know what you're talking about, but I don't know the specifics. Okay, um, so Peter's been having problems with people being mad at him because when Aunt May's dying, you know, and he has to get radiation from Doctor Octopus to save her and Master Planner, he tunes everyone out, ignores them, walks past them, they don't hear him, and then. He's like, oh my gosh. And then everyone like is mad at him. That happened again um, in the Wolfman run. That happened again. And uh, that happened again at the beginning of the Ramita run. He's like, oh my god, if Hotmate gets a heart attack and dies. And then that's when Flash is like, okay, I tried to be nice to Peter. He ignored us again. Yeah. Here he does it to Foswell. So even when he's not worried about Hotmate dying, he still does the whole walking past people, even though they're two feet away from him, saying, Peter, 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 can you hear me? So... Yeah, what are you talking about? On page six, where Peter, you know, Peter like like will walk and be lost in thought, and people try to contact him, and he doesn't. Oh, we went back to page six. I'm sorry. Yeah, the notes are all over the place. Um, no, it's fine. Let's, let's see. Yes, yeah, f- for real. It's there. So he's had this problem for a while, apparently, and yeah. he doesn't. It is a problem. To go, go to the doctor. It, it, it's a big problem. Like it's it's literally like him and Gwen would have already been like you know celebrating their two month anniversary had it not been for this. <laughs> if it weren't for that darn Spider Man disguise, then his darn secrets because that's ruined so many relationships. It's ruined spider that pushes uh, pushes them apart each and every time. Exactly. Well, speaking of Foswell, uh, let's talk about the whole patch thing. Patch following uh, Peter. Peter changes to Spider-Man. Patch figures out that Peter is Spider-Man. Peter turns Spider-Man into a doll and swings him away on a web. And Patch is like, oh, how about that? I was dead wrong. Now, the whole idea that Peter and Spider-Man have a working relationship, and that's how Peter's able to get all his photos. Is this where that's introduced? Because I don't remember hearing that before now. Then, yeah. I, I See, that's the thing, because every time... This is one of those things that like gets brought back into continuity every now and then because I've seen this brought up in the comic books as though it were the first time in later runs and in like even in the cartoons like the various cartoons like Peter will say it to somebody like whether he's being secretive or not and it's a very very inconsistent thing that people will remember or not like this sh- this really should have been the way people think or at least some people think that Peter takes pictures of Spider Man but like I suppose it varies from person to person but like like. Because Peter plays off Spider-Man like, like this thug who wants who wants a lot of money, but and then a, a lot of times like I think I remember um, I think sometimes somewhere in the cartoon I think he says you know oh Spider-Man you know he 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 wouldn't want me to uh, uh to lure him into a trap you know he'd beat me up he couldn't beat him so it's like why does he meet you at all exactly oh I love that episode but um I think this is the first time it's certainly the stupidest because look at think about what you just said John <laughs> he makes a spider doll. Which had to have taken minutes, if not 
if not tens of minutes. And Boswell never looks until he sees that, like, why doesn't Boswell just like, go, aha, I guess, he's a, I guess he was worried that Spider-Man would, like, beat him up, but I don't know. Well, I just, I, I was trying to remember if I had heard it before and I, I hadn't, but in my mind, it's a staple of the mythology, and sometimes you have characters who don't realize it, and sometimes Peter describes his relationship with Spider-Man in different ways. But the fact that he has a working relationship with Spider-Man and that's how he get picture that's how he gets pictures, that being the cover story that he tells people has just always been there in my that's head. Uh, Gwen and Captain Stacy. Yeah. Later on, in that would that that was really really stupid. Not the story, but I'm like just what Peter did. Like, so Peter, we have a question for you about Spider-Man. Oh, I'll be right back. <laughs> and then he like goes in as Spider-Man, pretends to be like you know, pretends that he's gonna beat himself up, to, and like sends Gwen away in tears. <laughs> is that the one where like, he like he, he he confesses he's Spider-Man in the flu? Or are we talking about another story? No, this, this is before then. Like Gwen and Captain Stacy both show up at his apartment. I'm like, hey Peter, we want to talk to you about your big secret, and. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm with you in Spider-Man, and Peter's like, "Oh, I'll be right back." And he like goes to the bedroom, and he comes back in as Spider-Man, and he like yells at Gwen and Captain Stacy, like, "Where's that punk Parker? He's stealing money from me. I'm gonna beat him up." And then yeah. like, "I swear, I swear!" Like, you know, basically like later on when he's mad because Gwen hates his alter ego, that's your fault, man. That's your fault. Uh, there was also another instance where, um, in the Shashan story. <laughs> Like he pretends to take kidnap Parker. He he does basically the same exact thing, but it's opposite. He makes a dummy out of Peter, and says, "Don't worry, uh, Stacy. I'm, I'm just going to borrow him for a little while." And then Gwen starts crying again. Moving into the fight with the Shocker, which I thought was a pretty interest, uh, a pretty dynamic fight. It doesn't last very long. Like th- this is another one of those stories where the supervillain is almost second string to the to the other things going on in the book. But they do put in like five straight pages of action to make up for that. Uh, once they finally get to the supervillain fight. But I was trying to figure out when I was reading this, for some reason, the action between Peter Parker and Spider-Man in the last panel on page 15 didn't make any sense. But what he's doing is he has one leg that he loops around behind Shocker's knee. And with the other leg, he gives him a kick to the face to knock him backwards. So with those two motions together, he's knocked the guy off his feet. Um, and then I guess he dives around behind him and does a full Nelson hold, which, you know, for all you Tarzan lovers out there, that's how Tarzan was able to beat the gorillas in the, the wrestling matches he would have with the apes, because human beings can figure out wrestling holds that gorillas can't figure out. <laughs> Everyone knows that gorillas can't wrestle. Well, I actually I, I, I like both fights. I, I think this is the most dynamic fight Rita has had yet in his run, because there's a lot of, like, really good action where Spider-Man, like, is on the ceiling and sort of like swings his fist around at him in uh, page 17. They get, they get a really good slugfest at the beginning of the issue where Shocker ends it by like double punching him with the vibro fists. And I mean, this is why I like the, the Shocker. His battle techniques are so inventive that you can have these two characters go up against go up against each other. And I don't think he gets really I don't really think he gets old. Right. I know I noticed, noted this earlier. I still love how um the Shocker still has a secret, you know science a lair with Roman architecture pillars in it. Yeah. <laughs> and between that and the fact that, you know, the way he webs up the shocker, and, you know, he couldn't possibly have bent his elbows anymore. Yeah, I, I, I didn't quite see that when I was reading it the first time, but you're totally right. All he has to do is just bend his elbows more and bring his hands closer to his shoulders. 
and he's going to get out of that web trap really, really quickly. That's why Spider-Man's just like, just like K, uh, KTOF. KTFO. Yeah, that's why Spider-Man KTFOs him. But, um, but actually, all well, he has to do is just distract him for that one second to get a Batak in there. Batak. Well, I like the fact that... By the uh, way, I, I've noticed now that Spider-Man's punches... He must be enhanced by spider strengths because he's a heck of a lot uh, more powerful than Daredevil because Daredevil's punches ma- literally make a thwip noise. Really? Yes. The uh, the sound effects of Daredevil's punches are, are more lame? There, it, he actually makes a thwip noise. Okay. Like Dude, the same, I, I, the same I noise see. that Spider-Man's uh, webs make is the same power as Daredevil's fist. I see. Well, Daredevil's blind, so his punches are therefore inferior. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get in trouble for this. <laughs> I know we are. So Peter makes his aunt cry. He wakes well, up with a smile. Like, that's hard to do. Yes, well, it, it's a very hard feat. It's like making next issue, he's going to make Gwen cry, and he's going to make Betty cry. You know, those will be hard as well. He'll also make Jonah angry while, you know, while, while he's doing all these impossible feats. But I'd also make, make an ironic comment or two. And make Mary oh. Jane talk about slang. I mean, I, I know this is her character, and I really shouldn't, like, not – I really shouldn't be so adverse to it. But she's like she says, "Oh, you're so fragile, Peter." When she's the one where, like, just seeing Peter with bags, she's like, she's about to have a breakdown. She shrivels up in Anna Watson's arms. I, that kind of drives me nuts. But that's, that's I wonder what it's like for Harry Osborn. Like, if she basically thought that it was Harry Osborn's responsibility to like take care of him now, and if Aunt May, like, unbeknownst to us and unbeknownst to Peter, called Harry like every hour for like. <laughs> years that like peter lived there like did peter remember to take a jacket this morning i saw that it's going to be 79 degrees peter will catch a cold and die oh yes yeah, just, just, just listening to the phone he's not answering the phone is he getting sleep is he getting sleep at night is make sure he's in bed by eight if he's in bed by eight twenty, he'll be cranky and if he doesn't go to the bathroom before he goes to bed he'll wet the bed like he yeah. did that one before that's awful I made the geriatric lesbian joke, didn't I? In the in the recap. Love, exciting and new. <laughs> the, the the last panel, Peter is just suddenly depressed, kind of out of nowhere. And he says, "When I became Spider-Man, was there a perhaps more than a physical change was wrought? Perhaps in some strange, mysterious way, when I gained another identity, I lost the capacity for happiness." No. <sighs> That's not what's going on at all. Well, I think it kind of makes sense. I mean, he's moving out of his aunt's house for the first time. It, it it makes sense that he's going to be, you know, just maybe a little down for a for a few minutes there before you know he gets a chance to hang out with Harry again. I can roll with that, but I think the reason he gives himself like, oh, this must be because I'm Spider Man is is bull stuff. I really do. Because when the spider bit me, it made me lose the capacity for feelings. <laughs> oh, I know what I was going to say. Um, in Spider-Man Blue, when Harry... Harry okay, offers, well, before you say that, go ahead. from now on until the end of the Romita... Actually, until Gwen Stacy dies, Spider-Man Blue is part of the drinking game. Nice. Well, it, 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 it ends with the next issue, because like, Spider-Man Blue ends with the Caribbean adapt- adaptation. Oh, okay. Okay, well, never mind then. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> well, uh, in Spider-Man Blue, when Harry offers Peter... This is probably why I, I can see if Josh doesn't, wouldn't care for this because this is a little more uh, uh, like like Harry is a little more he's a little more snobby when he offers Peter the room and um, and then like I remember when he drives away he's like oh great we'll work it out 
And then Aunt May says, I don't, you know, I never really like that Harry Osborn boy. And there's kind of no, no real reason for it, which I, I, I actually don't care for it in that story, even though I like the story. And Aunt May says in another issue of the um, J.M. DeMatteis run, I always liked that Harry Osborn boy, because I remember reading both of those books in the same day, like just shaking my head. <laughs> and then you're saying to your head, you're saying to yourself, DeMatteis, DeMatteis, do 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 DeMatteis, DeMatteis. Sorry. Rock me, Demetrius. Demetrius. Yeah, there you go. Wreck on Demetrius. Kill people often and have them come back from Europe. Rock me. <laughs> okay, well, looking at the ads for the... Uh, I'm sorry, Tyler. No, I was just going to say Quilt Man's awesome. Quilt Man! And he's, is- much, he's almost as badass as the Ultimate Shocker. Mmm, <laughs> <laughs> well, No, that, that, that was... That was I mean, it was funny... But they kept on doing that over and over again. It was, it was. I have read that issue where. Um, have you guys actually gotten into Teenage Wasteland where the, the Ultimate Shock, Shocker kidnaps Spider-Man? Yes, we covered it, but at this point, it hasn't been released yet. Okay. But I, I said there that that's probably one of my favorite issues of that entire run, if not my favorite, just because it shows that even the most menial character that gets beat up for no reason, you know, can get developed and does in the story. Yeah, I remember in the Ultimate Spider-Man video game, you can literally literally knock him out with one punch. Oh yeah, I remember Ultimate Shocker. Yeah, he was a joke. He really was like like, like the and, and Ultimate Spider-Man gets beat up a ton, but he, he's like the one guy that he never has trouble with. Well, looking at the ads for this month, after the treasure chest of fun on the inside cover, the first house ad for more Marvel masterpieces now on sale, 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 has Fantastic Four sixty with the team going up against Doctor Doom and the Inhumans getting used to their newfound freedom. Also, Tales to Astonish 89 has a pretty cool cover with the Stranger attacking the Hulk. And Strange Tales 154, where Clea must die. And I don't know exactly what happens to Clea, but she does actually leave the book after this. She's in the next issue, and then she's gone for a year and a half. That's Stranger's true love, right? Who's Clea? Clea is um, the white-haired girl that he meets in the other dimension and then takes her on as her uh, his lover-apprentice person. They get married Appren- at some point down the road. Apprentice with benefits. Apprentice with benefits. That teacher student... I've never student- heard her before. I love that. <laughs> yeah, look up Clea Strange. They ended... In Ultimate Doctor Strange, um, she ended up hating, hating Doctor Strange. And then there was um, the Polaris nuclear sub ad and boys selling grit. High school. <laughs> oh man, I forgot about that. Yes. High school diplomas available for you, and Norman Rockwell uh, wanting your art talents, and that takes us to the uh, final fight scene with the Shocker, where there is this ad for the electronic computer brain facing mm-hmm. page sixteen. Now. I don't know if this is the first time this has been advertised, but I got to talk about this thing. This, okay. The picture's kind of fuzzy, and I'm sure some of you have seen it. If not, I'm going to post a picture on the Libsyn page. But it says it's educational, fun at parties, solves riddles, even tells fortunes. It's $5. It adds, subtracts, multiplies, and memorizes. Train it to do your bidding. There is a huge <laughs> amount of text on here about the the wonderful wonders of the Digicomp 1. You want to know what this thing does? Exactly nothing. You push a little button over and over again, and it counts to 8 in binary. How useful can that possibly be? 
and then it goes I back know, eighth to, grade. to an eighth grader. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a very clever little piece of mechanics because it is a binary counter. And all you have to do is push one button and all the mechanics move around. It's a pretty neat little construction, but it is not at all what is being advertised. Like, not even a little bit. I posted a video of it in action on the Facebook page. And uh, you really got to go take a look at it. It's, um, it's pretty amazing how lame it is after you've read this ad. <laughs> Something in Sissy's lame? Pure thoughts. Well, a lot of stuff in here, like... They can't. They can't seriously be advertising Polaris submissiles to children. I mean, I assume that's like a toy, right? Yeah, it's 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 a toy submarine. It's a, but oh, it's like uh, it's it's a very large nuclear submarine toy that can fit like two children in it. Um, yeah. Seven feet long, fires rockets and torpedoes. It's it's a very large <laughs> playset. But so it is, only, it's it's a toy, right? Yeah, not not an actual. Toy. It's a toy. Okay. Um, but the projectiles work. And they're pretty large since it's a seven foot long toy. So I'm not. I hope they're like made out of you know soft foam or something. There's a real periscope that functions, uh, electrically lit instrument panel, and it's only seven dollars. So it's actually a pretty uh, pretty neat toy for seven dollars. What else? What else? What else? Then we have a couple more junk ads before the bullpen bulletins bring us nutty notes and nonsensical name dropping featuring naturally non-essential news of the nation's top non-entities. Whoa, 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 Stan, slow down. (laughs) Stan says they have to turn in the bullpen page the day before the Marvel Superheroes cartoon airs, so they still don't have viewer reactions to that, which is a bit ironic because this book came out in December, and the show didn't have any more new episodes in 1967. It only went for 13 weeks of new episodes, and by Christmas it was done. And from then on it was just reruns. By the time the comics print viewer reaction, the show is going to be in reruns. <laughs> it's like, it's like, it's like more, uh, more so-and-so, please, and they'll never get it. Right. But again, there's nothing really about Spider-Man in this month's column, except that Stan is excited about Gil Kane taking the art chores on the Incredible Hulk and Tales to Astonish. And this is, I believe, his first work for Marvel. After working on DC books for years and years. Oh, I, I, just, I just assumed that Gil Kane came on Marvel in the 70s. I didn't know he was there that early. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, we're going to be seeing him, a significant run from him, on this book down the road. After that, another house ad with more Marvel masterpieces now on sale. We see Marvel Tales number 7, where Spider fans could catch the reprint of Amazing Spider-Man 10 with Big Man and the Enforcers. Where Betty gets shaken down by the mob and Peter doesn't care. <laughs> as he shouldn't we discussed that issue back on episode 8 yeah I think we actually felt sorry for her back then <laughs> before we learned our ways <laughs> I think that's the first Betty runs away crying um, instance it might be because uh, she's having troubles that we don't know about yet and Peter seems kind of callous to her no one knows about them until, until, until it's far too late the boyfriend who turns out to be her brother yeah <laughs> It's too late when when Dr. Octopus has his eight-armed way with her. Oh, yes. There's also a torch story from Strange Tales, a wasp story from Tales to Astonish, and a Thor story from Journey into Mystery in that book. But speaking of Thor, he is also in this ad with issue 137, which had the first appearance of Ulick, the mightiest of all rock trolls. And finally, Marvel Collector's Item Classic 7, which was actually advertised last month, too, so I'm not going to go over that again. 
But now getting into the spider's web. Did y'all have anything that y'all saw in, this, in the letters column here? I said that Peter Parker should get an ulcer. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a laugh? <laughs> oh, wait. Yeah, that happened. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that run. That's one of my favorite stories. When does he get the ulcer? Is that before 100? That's that after, a, I think. It's in the Conway run. Okay. Like, the very beginning. It's like Gwen's still alive. Ah. Yeah. And like everybody's babying him. Like, 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 he's like, ulcer, ulcer, ulcer. And like, Gwen's like, oh, you poor baby. Like she actually turns into Aunt May for a little bit. Yeah, and then yells at Aunt May because like she wants to be the only Aunt May. Oh, yeah. But you know what? It's really cool to get loving from your girlfriend when you're sick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would well, much rather have sick. Gwen Stacy hovering over me than, than, you know, May Parker. So would I. I don't care what handband she has on her head. <laughs> there was a question posed recently in the letters columns of whether Peter Parker and other Marvel characters should age. This is, of course, a new dilemma in the 60s when all these characters are somewhat going year for year, you know, getting older. But letter response was overwhelmingly in favor of having Peter age. And this is the letter that gave the explanation that is basically what we still stick with today. This is from Lee Verco in Elko, Pennsylvania. He says, Dear Stan and John, in number 43, you mentioned that you were concerned about the aging problem should Spidey continue to get older. I might have the solution. As you know, to stop all our heroes from getting older would seem unrealistic, but to age them one whole year for every 12 issues would also be unrealistic. For example, in Tales of Suspense, the time, issue-wise, from Iron Man's first battle with Titanium Man to the second battle took over 12 issues, or over one year. However, reading all those issues in a row, I found that it took four days of Iron Man's life at the most. At this rate, 20 years from now, we can still be reading Iron Man, and he'll only have to get a few months older. See how simple it is? Marvel time is different than our time. Peter Parker can stay in college for 100 years our time and still have only been there four years Marvel time. If this is a solution you want, don't applaud, just throw no prizes. I knew my four years in college as a math physics major would be good for solving something. Wait, 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 wait. A, a year passed in, in, in real time for the Iron Man comics, but only four, four days were in 12 issues? Uh, yeah, Iron Man was running half of an issue. Uh, he was just doing... Uh, Put ten or twelve page stories each issue, and a lot of time it was serial. Yeah, and so oh. he would do like half a fight in one issue, and the other half the fight in the next issue, and then go home the issue after that and deal with you know Pepper and and Happy. Exactly. So, it, um, That's but this basically gives birth to the idea of the sliding Marvel timeline, where time passes more slowly in the Marvel world than it does for us. Um, thanks to Lee Verko, who is currently an instructor of engineering at Penn State University, now that he's all grown up. You're on Facebook, don't you? He's no, not that's, a- that's not real. No, it is real. No, it's not. Penn State University? I know, no, I'm passing with him. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, what's going on? What? It makes sense. But no, he's not on Facebook. Um, there were opposing views that got letters printed that he uh, shouldn't age at all, like DC characters and another person that he should age in real time and grow up with the teenagers of the 1960s, forcing creators to make new characters for future generations. Well, what do I you actually, guys think? Let's open this, let's open this up for a little bit. 
Do you all like the sliding timeline that we have going right now, or what do you all think uh, would be an alternative solution? I think the sliding timeline makes sense. I mean, I I think that early on it has to be, of course, because he graduates within a few issues. But he does have the... uh, I I mean, it generally seems to work out, and most of the time, like, if a fight's continued in between issues, you can't say that they were fighting for a whole month. Right. Yeah, I want to favor the sliding timeline because after a while, it it gets to the point where it's just ridiculous. Like, Tim Drake is one case where he had to age. Otherwise, he couldn't be 13 or 14 after, like, after like a 100-issue run. So I'm glad he aged as much as he did. Like, it, it just gets frustrating when... I think I think the joke was, back in the Bronze Age, that Batman was 29, like, his entire uh, history, which drew <laughs> Frank Miller nuts and why he made Dark Knight Returns. But, um, I mean... I really, I really do think that if you don't age the characters at all, it's really asking too much to switch of disbelief. But at the same time, I, I understand the problem. You know, you don't want to age them too much. Well, I mean, I'm going to bring up uh, Ultimate Spider-Man again. At a certain point, you do start to wonder, okay, will, you know, is he in now? Is he still a sophomore? Is he a senior? At some point, you just kind of stop caring. You just kind of grow to accept it. Right. And I, it doesn't really from the story that he's still in high school. And even though it's kind of weird that, you know, everybody knows that he goes to that school and, you know, we still don't know how long people have known. And I read Ultimate Origins recently, and apparently, according to that, six months it started from, like, pretty much the beginning of the uh, Ultimate Universe to, you know, Ultimatum at that point. Is Peter 16 yet? Yeah, he actually had his uh, 16th birthday in the uh, comics recently. Yeah, remember that. I remember reading that and going, "Holy crap, really? What a year!" <laughs> it, and it's weird because when we started doing Teenage Wasteland, I was trying to keep track of the time periods that were given, but it really is like any other comic universe where you kind of have to look at that as a telescoping deal. Like the time periods that are passing and the story that you're doing are as they say, but as those stories move into the past, those time periods no longer really matter. Um, was there a time skip of like nine months in Ultimate Spider-Man? I had it. I had calculated pretty much a school year right around the time that we were doing the Clone Saga. I was expecting that everything leading up to Ultimatum would be one school year, and the break between Ultimatum and the reboot would be the summer vacation, and then he'd go back to school the next year. But ultimately, there's just too much time given in the comics over those 133 issues for that to work. And also they do two senior skip days. Like there's a senior skip day in the first story and a senior skip day in um, something around 110, 120. Maybe it's the death of a goblin story. Um, Maybe one was senior skip day at the beginning of the school year. And the second one was like senior skip day the day before they get out. I, I don't know too many schools that have too many, that have two senior skip days, but I mean, I thought it was kind of weird that they would have senior skip day at the beginning of the year as opposed to at the end when, you know, they don't really care about it. Right, yeah, right. exactly. But ultimately, ultimate time is just like any other comic book time. You're going to go through the cycles of regular time, and yet the calendar is not going to change. They're still the same age they were last year. But anyways, so yes, Lee Verko, there he goes. And also in this letters column, Stanley lets slip that Spider-Man will be hitting the television stations in the fall. And also there's a discussion about the draft, because it was mentioned that Peter was safe from the draft because of his scholarship, but David McGeegan points out that Flash also was at college on a scholarship for sports, not for science. So he oh, should Flash have... lost that scholarship within, like, the first semester. 
Oh, you think so? Oh, yeah. He bombed that. (laughs) The first question of the day in his English class was fatuous. (laughs) Fatuous? Hey, Dee Parker, what does this word mean? No talking. But I'm thinking that this is the first mention of the fact that there's going to be a Spider-Man cartoon. Uh, And this is December of 1966, and that premieres in September of 1967. We really need to figure out how we're going to cover that. But that's a topic for an off-air discussion. And that wraps up Amazing Spider-Man 46. But there was something else happening this month, something important, that directly involved Spider-Man, even though he's not actually in the book. In Daredevil 25, Matt Murdock comes home from England. To find that in his absence... His law office has received a letter from Spider-Man telling Matt Murdock that Spider-Man knows he's Daredevil. But don't worry, he won't reveal the secret. Now, the zinger here actually comes from the last panel of the previous issue, issue 24, where (laughs) Karen Page and Foggy Nelson open the letter and read what it says. But all the events... Yeah. But all the events play out here in issue 25, and of course, this leads to Matt Murdock inventing one of the best lies ever in comics. Okay, group. <laughs> yeah, sure. I can Sorry, see that man. I can't keep the truth from you any longer. You're forcing me to tell you about my twin brother. I never told you about him before because they asked me not to. His name is uh, Mike. Mike Murdock. And he's a dead ringer for me. Come off it, fella. I roomed you all through college. We were buddies. We confided about everything. And you never mentioned a brother. <laughs> Who's the black sheep of the family? I mean, uh, his name is George Glass. He says something about being a loner. I'm a loner, Daddy. A rebel. There's a lot of things about me you don't know anything about, Daddy. Things you wouldn't understand. Things you couldn't understand. Things you shouldn't understand. I wish I knew this scene, but to tell you the truth, I'm only reading as we go along with uh, From Yellow to Red, and we just covered our last Yellow episode in our last recording. You'll get there. You will. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> Mike Murdoch. <laughs> I can't wait till you get Mike Murdoch is basically the male version. I've said this before. He's the male version of Mary Jane Watson from the Silver Age. Yeah. We've, we've talked about this this bit before on previous episodes, but this is actually where it all starts going down in the comics. And the story is going to last for a good year and a half with, Mur- <laughs> oh, that's funny. with, with Matt Murdock pretending to be his twin brother who can see but always wears sunglasses and is zany, man. <laughs> and that is all of our Spidey stories for December 1966, which means... It must be time for another year in review. 1966, year in review. So here we go. 1966 was not a peaceful time in the world. It began with President Johnson asserting that the United States would be maintaining forces in South Vietnam until communist aggression there was ended. Basically prolonging the Vietnam War. Over the course of the year, countries would stand against Rhodesia's attempts to gain independence. And before Christmas, Syria was arming rebels in Jordan in a prelude to the 1967 war. And, sadly, Walt Disney passed away. Oh, that was around the time of the Jungle Book, right? Yes, but on the flip side, Dean Cain was born. Aww, no, I like Dean Cain. He's Superman, so... 
Um, Spider-Man's life was equally turbulent. Here's the rundown. The Molten Man regretted the uncomfortable relationship he and Spider-Man had formed, but he came back for more naked molten action as Betty Brant walked out of the Daily Bugle and out of Peter Parker's life. Gwen Gwen Stacy played her Lois Lane card when she called Peter a coward for not staying in the museum and getting killed by the looter. Norman Osborn causes the Robot Master to have a heart attack by shooting him. (laughs) Showing him a gun. <laughs> Something like that. He, he basically Martha Kane's. I mean, Martha yeah. Wayne. Martha Kane's her maiden name. <laughs> Spider-Man and Daredevil took down the masked marauder, but not before Spidey dangled Foggy Nelson out the window, insisting that his somewhat flabby body would really look good in red spandex. Yes, he's a good guy, right? Of course. Peter almost comes to blows with Ned Leeds over Betty Brant, but instead takes out his aggression on just a guy named Joe, and later on a mannequin. (laughs) While we wonder who the mysterious Mary Jane of the plant face and abnormally large boobs could be. Anger and angst were replaced by apologies and, well, nicer forms of angst, as John Romita succeeded Steve Ditko, giving us the unmasking of Spider-Man, confusion over exactly what a broomstick is, and the longest supervillain monologue in the history of comics. Oh, man. You ain't kidding. Betty Brandt comes back, and Peter realizes he doesn't care. The Rhino shows up on the scene, but he's not the only one who's horny as Peter gets his first glance at Mary Jane Watson. Face it, Tiger. You just hit the jackpot. The motorcycles and mad lingo give way just long enough for Spider-Man to go on the most worthless recruitment hazing ever as he tries to bring in the Hulk for the Avengers, but decides that he just can't bring himself to stop the Hulk from his career of killing dozens of innocent people. His career. The thing he gets paid for. (laughs) John Jameson goes spore happy as Betty Brant gets engaged and Gwen gets a headband. And Aunt May kicks Peter out of the house while he fights the lizard and the shocker for dear life and gets a new apartment with the man who would one day make him believe his parents were really alive when they really were just robots. But that's okay, because Peter gets to boink Harry's hot redhead girlfriend on a regular basis for 20 years of comics. It all works out. What's sex? Yay! So, looking back on the year, what would you say is your favorite issue this year. Let's go with Josh first. I'd say 37 because of all the mythology that, that's built around it. Okay. Which one is that again? Is that the, the, looter, the looter? That's no, the no, robot that, master. The robot master. There, there's like so many like little threads in there that just got picked up on over the years. Really? Yeah. Well, yeah, um, yeah, it starts the whole uh, the Gaunt Osborne thing. Yeah. Okay. I mean, at the time, it was, you know, a story just like any other, I mean, just as important as just a guy named Joe, really. But um, it's the fact that later people expanded upon it. They basically made Strom the creator of the Goblin formula. Right, right, they did. Ah, that's it. Continuity boy, there you go. What would you say, Tyler? Would you you be able to pick a favorite issue from this year? Okay, um... (laughs) My gut instinct is to just go with 39, um, with the Green Goblin. right. But part of me really wants to go with just a guy named Joe. Okay, why would, why would just a guy named Joe be your favorite? Tell you the truth, I, I can't quite remember. I just remember having a really good time reading that story. Okay. And it, it's I'm not going to pretend that it you know it has the deep continuity that or the uh, 
the importance that issue number 39 had, but just a guy named Joe is just kind of fun, and I kind of enjoyed it just like all the way through. I don't remember not enjoying that issue. Alrighty, and Donovan, what would you say is your favorite issue? I'm kind of torn between issue 39, the first Romita issue, and uh, issue 46, because issue 39 has a lot of, like, it's a big issue continuity-wise, and issue 46 is just a really, really good Spider-Man issue, in my opinion. The action's great, the art is excellent, um, you have a, a heaping helping of uh, bad lingo. I would actually probably go with uh, 46, though I really do enjoy 39 a lot. I was expecting a whole bunch of rousing courses for 39, but I chose the annual. Um, <laughs> How could you, man? It was it was amazing. I mean, yeah, there was a lot of silly stuff with the Avengers, but I just thought it was... I really liked seeing Spider-Man interact with the superhero group, and he and Banner have some really good moments while they're talking out, you know, their mutual existences. Um, plus, the ending was just really, really emotional. And um, sad and depressing. Yeah, yeah. It, it gets you, and... I like that. Yeah, that's, that's probably, probably a, a third ringer for me. I actually, I actually really enjoyed that issue as well. What about a least favorite issue? Molten Man easily. I mean, I think we even said in the recap that that's a completely, except for the, like, the last two pages, it's a totally worthless issue. Ah, gotcha. What about, uh, what about you, Josh? I think Molten Man regrets. Okay, so that's two for the Molten Man. Tyler, what about you? Okay, I know Josh is probably going to hate me for this, but... I'm going to have to go with uh, issue number 37, the Robot Master. Just, I know that it does have a lot of stuff that gets picked up on later, but when you're reading through it for the first time, it's just, it, it's a really forgettable story. Like, I, I even remember just a guy named Joe for some odd reason, but I, uh, looking back over this, like, I couldn't even remember the cover of 37 until I went back and looked it up. Well, my least favorite was definitely the uh, the looter in 36. It was either that or just a guy named Joe in 38. Um, But the looter is really just annoying. And Gwen has my least favorite moment of the year in that issue. She goes beyond all reason. I totally agree with that. Um, I don't quite remember what happened there. What did she do? We can can go ahead and go to that. My my least favorite moment of this year, um, some moment of storytelling that you really wish just had never happened... Gwen spends several pages wishing that Peter would come over and talk to her. But then the looter attacks, and uh, Peter runs off. She labels him a coward in her mind, and she lashes out at him later for not staying and trying to help, regardless of the fact that plenty of other people ran, and not a single other person in the museum tried to help. It was too Golden Age Lois Lane for me to really stomach. Yeah, yeah, it was very, very Lois Lane. Um, and like she's like laughing like and she, she looks really evil in issue too she's like she, like peter parker's like oh yeah i wouldn't want to throw the football at you flash and gwen's like ah, ha, ha, peter parker throw a football how crazy is that why are you laughing gwen i won't tell you ah, ha. it's like you wouldn't want to smack a bitch my favorite moment is during just a guy named joe he's when they're doing his origins <laughs> all of a sudden oh. i don't know they're like look the lights are going on to the special, like, radioactive chemicals, which are there for no reason. Like, just the chemicals that appear from nowhere for the convenience of the plot. Like, at that point, it was, like, self-parody. <laughs> Word. What about you, Tyler? Do you have a least favorite moment from this year? Um, I kind of have two. Okay. And one of which is kind of obvious, and the other one, I kind of have, a, you know, I, I, I'm going to get yelled at for this one, too. I get <laughs> the feeling. 
very obvious. I really hated just the looter automatically thinking, well, I have to go get more Meteor Rock. <laughs> like, even though it was motivation, it was just such, like, it, it has to go with what you were saying last episode, John, where somebody assumes thing that may that may be true in the plot, but then they go on that assumption as if it's a fact. Right. Yeah, that really bothered me about the looter, too. It's like Peter Parker never once says, oh, uh, my spider powers might run out. I need to go find another spider. Exactly. But that's exactly the same kind of logic that our loony looter uses. Oh, can I can I choose one more as a tie? Actually, you haven't done yours yet, so I was going to do you after Tyler. Okay, well, I, I don't like the, the, the Gwen scenes in looter. But my, my least favorite has to be just out of sheer, sheer stupidity. If Peter Parker is sleeping in his bed, you know, nice and quiet, then all of a sudden, it's no use! I can't sleep! No sense even trying! And so someone's calling me, forcing me to get up, and I'm not reading that. I, I know that off the head, because that is such bad writing. What did he wake up for? What was that? For To fight John Jameson. It's not even like his spider sister's going off. It's just like he just woke oh, up to fight. That's, that's like issue 40... I think it's 42, isn't it? Yeah, because Quiz Merging appears at the end. Okay. Okay, well, I was just going to go off with my uh, second least favorite moment real quick. And again, I know I'm going to get yelled at. Because we, we always yell at our guest hosts. Yes, <laughs> well, it's such an iconic moment. I, I hate when I hate Norman Osborn's amnesia. Oh. oh that's fine. I don't know what it is. I think it's just because, you know, I watched the animated series when I was growing up. And between just like seeing it in, in so many incarnations so many times... And having read comics before this, even though I knew it was coming, it just felt like so stereotypical and so cliche, even though it was the first time it was done. It's um, it's it's a plot device that forever changes goblin mythology, because from now on, no one can just be the Green Goblin. They can only be the Green Goblin whenever their mental instability gets out of control. Right. The Green Goblin of pre-Romita, De- the, the Ditko Green Goblin, no one's ever going to be like that anymore. Either Norman will forget, or Harry will forget, or Bart Hamilton will decide that he wants riches, but you know he's kind of the exception to the rule, and he only has one adventure as the Green Goblin anyway. Um, Who was uh, Ben Murek's um, uh, nephew? That I couldn't even remember his name, but wasn't he a Green Goblin for a bit, and wasn't he a good guy? Yeah, that's um, you know what he's doing now, right? Oh yeah, obviously he's the hobgoblin now, and uh, he's uh, and you know he right now he's doing the whole oh Uncle Ben's proud of me. <laughs> yeah, oh my lord. But actually, I kind of enjoy what he's doing right now. Like it's not mental instability; he's just you know being a selfish bastard after being a superhero that I don't quite get. But you know, I was worried. I thought you were going to say that your least favorite moment was Mary Jane first appearing. <laughs> oh god, there is no way I would say that. I love Mary Jane. Yeah, I, I really would yell at you if you said that. <laughs> Well, what about favorite moments for the year? Um, the like, you know, one of your best character moments, or something that you know you really remember and always are going to love from this year of stories. I have to say that my favorite moment, besides Mary Jane appearing, because I, I mean that's kind of a given in this situation. My favorite moment has to be in Avengers number three when he's just talking with Bruce Banner. Okay, yeah, that's a good one. I'm trying to think. Which, what issue was the one where he uh, was like really, was like really, really awesome to like win? Like she'd be yelling at him, and he was like, he didn't even care. Oh, that was the issue after Looter because he's like, "There's Gwen Stacy. Let's see if she's still mad at me." And then she slaps him. Yeah, she tries to slap him, and he catches it. 
Yeah, that, that's that, that's up there. I, I probably have a better moment. Best moment we can think of. What about you, Josh? Peter and Betty putting their relationship to bed because you know, <laughs> dodge a bullet there, a bullet that'll that'll get fired again. But you know, he's safe for the time being. <laughs> Well, I just went the easy route on this one. I like to buck the trend usually and pick something that I don't think is going to get picked very much. But uh, first appearance of MJ, I, I went ahead and stuck with that. That's that's something that um, has been in my head since I was a wee lad and not too wee. <laughs> you wonder why. Yeah. That's on May's favorite, too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All of her machinations for, for years come together. Oh, May, what was your least favorite moment of 1966? In issue 34, when Peter went outside without a jacket, and the cla- and it was really cloudy, and I thought it was going to rain, and Peter didn't have a raincoat. Oh, he would have gotten wet, and it would have ruined his clothes, and he would have lost his scholarship. Oh, goodness. <laughs> lost his scholarship because he his clothes. <laughs> the last category we have is new villains. We have the looter, the robot master... The Masked Marauder, a guy named Joe, the Rhino, Captain Jupiter, and the Shocker. What would be your favorite new villain? Uh, Shocker. Shocker. Oh yeah, uh, and pretty easily too because I, I I think I already made the case of why I like him so much. But yeah, easily Shocker this year. I'll go with the Shocker as well. I mean, just between I, I'm kind of upset that you know his technical prowess never quite comes up in stories ever again but i thought that could have set up a lot of good you know things that shock could have done i mean that and the fact that he's always a surprisingly good canon or you know humor fodder for spider-man with being quilted (laughs) the webs versus the quilts a 62 miniseries starring spider-man is the shocker definitely a guy named joe I mean, classic (laughs) origin his motivation no but uh for real i'm gonna say robot master okay because of his uh, connection with the Osborns, yeah. Why well, went with the Rhino? I thought the Rhino. I mean, he's a pretty one note. He's pretty simple, but he's very, very deadly. And I just, he's one of those guys that he they can never really allow him to connect because if he ever did actually connect with the point of that horn with Spider Man, Spider Man's intestines would be strewn across New York. Yeah, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> And, you know, I just, I really like that he has the potential to be one of Spider-Man's deadliest foes. Least favorite. I'm going to go ahead and start on this one. For some reason, my brain always likes to blend Captain Jupiter and Guy Named Joe. Because they seem just in my head way too similar. Both are off their heads. And they're beating up Spider-Man because there's nothing better to do. And I don't really care for either one of them. But I'm going to go ahead and say Guy Named Joe. Because at least John Jameson's tirade leads to a better relationship between him and Spider-Man. I'm going to agree with you for the exact same reason. Guy named Joe. Yes, uh, sorry, Tyler. Uh, <laughs> guy named Joe. S- stupid origin, and there's a reason why of all the Lee Dicko villains, he's the one that's like, probably with the exception of the of uh, the living brain, has come back the least. Yeah. Sorry, Tyler, to walk all over your hey. favorite issue like that. <laughs> hey, it's no problem. It's just my favorite issue of uh, this year because I didn't want to say 39, and because uh, I thought everybody else would say it, and then I was dead wrong. <laughs> so was I. But right. I think I'm, I think I'm going to actually go with uh, John Jameson in this iteration. I do enjoy when he comes back later as Manwolf, but as he is, he's just annoying. Yeah, there's not a whole lot to redeem John Jameson's villainous role in this. He was my second least. But yeah, 
Well, that's sort of a look at the year and where we've been and, and what we've done for the last several episodes. And with that, we're going to take a break and come back for Amazing Spider-Man 47. And by take a break, I mean, like, take two weeks off. Because our coverage of that issue sort of took a lot more time than I thought it would. So we're going to go ahead and close it off for this episode now. We will have issue 47 up next episode uh, in about two weeks' time. And yes, I do mean in about two weeks' time, come hell or high water, it will be done. Uh, I know that the show's release schedule has been haphazard of late. We haven't had one in a couple of months. And I appreciate all of you who continue to support the show and download it and listen to it regularly. Um, I, what can I say? I mean, life gets in the way. I have school. I have kids. Uh, there was Comic-Con. And you can expect some Comic-Con talk in episode 34 because that will be the next one that Don and Josh and I record. So, if you want to contact the show between now and then to have your email read on the air, the email address is AmazingSpidermanClassics at gmail.com. You can also go to the show's Facebook page and like us there at Facebook.com slash AmazingSpidermanClassics and interact with us on the page there. You can also go to the show's website, AmazingSpiderMan.Libsyn.com and download past episodes and leave comments. Or if you want to download other past episodes, you can also do so through iTunes. You can subscribe to the show, pull down episodes, and leave us a review, for which we are always grateful. Other shows that I'm involved in are my solo show, Golden Age Superman, located at goldenagesuperman.libsyn.com. Also on that website, I have started a blog looking at Superman and the New 52. DC will be launching those in the end of August, and I have put up my first anticipatory post talking about some of my thoughts on what we know so far. I also do Teenage Wasteland with Zach Henderson and Tyler Crone, who is our guest today, over at TeenageWasteland133.Libson.com. That's an Ultimate Spider-Man podcast. And I'm the number two guy on The Mighty Shield, a Captain America podcast at www.TheMightyShield.com. We're going to be going through some changes on that show because some stuff has come up that's causing us to alter the format, but we'll talk about that on the next episode that goes live, which will be episode 5. Finally, I am going to be joining Xavier's podcast for Gifted Youngsters, which is an X-Men podcast that has so far been done by David Weeder and Michael Bailey, but they have invited me on to be a regular number three person there, and you can find that at xavierspodcast.com. And I'll be on there starting with episode five. Joshua Bertoni and Donovan Grant are two of the guys who are regularly part of the Clone Saga Chronicles podcast, which is located at clonesagachronicles.podomatic.com. They're also members of the podcast panel at thebatmanuniverse.net. Donovan writes regular reviews for the Amazing Spider-Man title over at spidermancrawlspace.com, which is a supporter of this show. And if I left anything out that those two guys are involved, and I'm sure they will let me know after this show goes live. So thank you very much for listening. Expect the next episode to drop on or around the 15th of this month, where we'll talk about Amazing Spider-Man 47 and launch into 1967. Until then, my name is John Wilson, and thank you very much for listening to Amazing Spider-Man Classics in association with SpiderManCrawlspace.com. Good night. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever.
spins a web any size. Catch your seeds just like flies. Look out, here comes the Spider-Man. Is he strong? Listen, bud. He's got radioactive blood. Can he swing from a thread? Take a look overhead. Hey there, there goes the Spider-Man. In the chill of night, at the scene of a crime, like a streak of light, he arrives just in time. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Wealth and fame, he's ignored. Action is his reward to him. Life is a great big bang up. Wherever there's a hang up, you'll find a Spider-Man. <laughs> it's okay, John. We'll get over this. <laughs> I was going to make a joke, but it would have been in bad taste. About Shashan? Uh, no, I was going to say we did, but it got deleted. <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm over it now. I'm past it. I, I, I've moved on with my my, my life. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody a... cries but Betty Brand. Just take a drink from that tumbler and you'll be good. <laughs> okay, Josh, get over your tears and read the next email. But the question remains, what's up with the ind- Indica? Indonesia. 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 What's up with the... Fucking me hard. (laughs) (laughs) Indonesia. There you go. What's up with the Indonesia? I guess writing up is more valuable for the Silver Age stuff uh, as opposed to uh, Ultimates where, you know, two things happen in an issue. (laughs) Yeah, for reals. 